This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. What I do is I, I just try to take my hat and I turn it around and it's like a switch that goes on. And when the switch goes on, I feel like another person. I feel, I don't know, I feel like a, like a truck, like a machine. I own you. You know, Jesse, you know, I'm sitting at my house and it was time to record. Once I sit down in front of this microphone and I put these headphones on, it's like a switch. I become a podcast host. You know, so I don't know how it is for you, but anyway, sorry, sorry for the bad uh, Stallone impersonation, but hey, you know what you sign on for with this podcast, and if you don't, now you know. But anyway, everybody, welcome back to your latest and greatest blast of the past with Age Visited. I am your host, your estranged father to Jesse's young, rich, had two VCRs when he was a kid, fresh out of military school son. Sorry, that's just how the, the plot for these movies go. This movie goes. Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And that's right. Over the top, Dad. Over the top. We're talking. We're taking this podcast over the top. You're gonna hear that that phrase mentioned a whole lot, probably, <laughs> uh, as we talk about. Here it comes again. Over the top. The Stallone eight, 1987 classic? <laughs> Question mark. I think this movie is a classic simply because uh, if you grew, if you're anywhere in your what, Jesse, maybe mid 30s to mid 40s, anywhere in that range, yeah, you probably grew up with this film a lot because. I think second only to the Beastmaster was this film, one of the ones that was shown on TBS once a day. I don't know. I think every I think everybody in our generation has probably seen this movie, or at least if you bring it up, they remember it. So let's get on with the who, what, when, where. For Over the Top, it released February 13th, 1987, one of the few Friday the 13th without a Friday the 13th film. IMDb gives it a 5.8, Rotten Tomatoes, 32% critics. 49% audience. So the audience is pretty much split on it. Uh, had an estimated $25 million budget, which I don't think you see on the screen at all. I would have guessed $10 million. Uh, opened at $5.1 million, which was good enough for number four that week. Still a pretty good opening for an 80s film, but it, the reason it was number four was, main, the main reason was the number one film that week was Platoon. Now, it was Platoon's ninth week out but it was number one because on february 11th they gave out the oscar nominations and guess what had a ton of oscar nominations in 87 Over the oliver stone's platoon would go on to win best picture we covered on the podcast go listen to that blast from the past there from like mm -hmm. 10 years ago uh but actually platoon had a 50 the oscar nomination Oscar nominations, excuse me, gave it a 57% increase over its previous week, which bumped it up. I'm not sure what it was the week before, but it was now number one again in its ninth week due to the Oscar nomination. Number two was Outrageous Fortune with uh, Bette Midler and Shelley Long in its third week. And beating over the top in its first week out, at least, number three, Mannequin. So Stallone mm. got a Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie, got beat at the box office in its opening weekend by a movie about a window dresser who falls in love with a mannequin. <laughs> so, uh, and interesting enough, uh, number six was Crocodile Dundee, still in the top 10 in its 21st week. So wow. we always, I always like to mention that because people tend to forget that, that that movie was huge, huge, mm. when it came out, to quote our disgraced former president. Uh, 
so yeah and but you know kind of had one sequel had one sequel crocodile dundee 2 which was i thought was really great and then it had what was that third one uh crocodile dundee goes to los angeles or something like that which was yeah let's just say it was cute let's leave it at that and then of course uh what's his name kenny powers uh oh god danny mcbride teased that there was going to be like a son of crocodile dundee movie a few years ago but it turned out it was just a tourism video for australia thus shattering the hopes of many a crocodile dundee fan but anyway more about over the top it was directed by a gentleman named uh mayhem golan uh he also directed the delta force with the legendary chuck norris and 90 year old 90 year old plus chuck norris by the way uh and enter the ninja one of the uh films that came out during the great big ninja craze in the 80s don't worry, we'll have a Ninja Month one day. Trust me on that. Uh, it was written uh, screenplay-wise by Sterling Siliphant. Uh, he also did the screenplay for In the Heat of the Night, The Towering Inferno, and one of my favorite movies of all time, the Gene Hackman starring Poseidon Adventure. So if you haven't seen that one, we're not going to have a 70s revisited, so I mm-hmm. recommend you check it out. <laughs> uh, and Stallone actually worked on the screenplay too, of course. All the Rockies, all the Rambos, but also this and uh, Ryan Stone. <laughs> And the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, Staying Alive. Cinematography on this one was by David Gerfinkel. Uh, he also worked with uh, the director Golan on uh, Enter the Ninja and the sequel. Uh, well, actually, honestly, I don't know if it's a sequel. I'm assuming it's a sequel, uh, Return of the Ninja. And he kept it in his wheelhouse by going on to be the cinematographer for the worst Ninja Turtles film. Jesse, I'm just seeing if where, where you rank on the Ninja Turtles barometer. What do you think the worst? Ninja Turtles film is third one in my opinion. Which one? Third one. The Absolutely time. right. He was a cinematographer <laughs> on Ninja Turtles three. That's the one where they go back in time mm-hmm. to feudal Japan because <laughs> everybody wanted. <laughs> uh, yeah. But hey, that uh, I think the Ninja Turtles series redeemed itself with uh, the CG, the the CG when uh, TMNT. And then honestly, I didn't hate the Michael Bay ones. I thought they were fine. Not as good as the original two, but nevertheless, I enjoyed them. Well, we'll leave it at that because this isn't 2000s revisited. But anyway, uh, starring the always great, in my opinion, even in bad movies, Sylvester Stallone, uh, multi-talented actor, writer, director. But in this film, I think he has one of his best character names, Lincoln Hawk. (laughs) I like that name. Uh, Of course, Rambo, Rocky, stop or my mom will shoot. Uh, funny story on that one. He only did that movie because he thought Arnold wanted to do it. So he wanted to beat Arnold to the punch. And that's why he did Stop from a Mambo Shoot. That's for 90s Revisited. God, I've been every decade with these alternate realities. The multiverse mm-hmm. of this podcast. More on the multiverse at the Back to the Future segment. But uh, also, and uh, his son in the film was uh, d- played by David Mendenhall. His name was Mike Cutler. But if you really think about it, he, ha- he takes his grandfather's last name, his mother's maiden last name. So he's Mike Cutler. However, his father, as I just mentioned, is named Lincoln Hawk. So he technically shouldn't he have his father's last name making his name Mike Hawk? <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Uh, but he would go on to he would go on to be the voice of uh, Daniel Witwicky in the Transformers cartoon. So that's where most people would actually probably remember him from. Any children of the eighties, and he did a lot of uh, other voice work uh, in Centurions. I think in one of the underrated cartoons of the nineties. Cool figures too, where you could put the different. Uh, things on him to make him either be land, sea, or air, and also rainbow bright for all the people that like that show. I hate to admit it. I don't, I don't hate to admit No, I, I'm proud to admit I watched Rainbow Bright. I didn't mind it. <laughs> Not going to say I had any of the toys, but yeah, I watched the show. Yeah. 
Anyway, moving on. Robert Logia, <laughs> uh, Jason Cutler, uh, the late great Robert Logia, I would say, always. Uh, I think one of the one of the best character actors that ever lived. I'd say Robert Logia, uh, in my opinion. Uh, of course, uh, Scarface, Innocent Blood, even though that was directed by John the Asshole Landis. Uh, big, I think it's one of his big, his most popular ones as well. Uh, of course, the famous scene of him playing the piano with uh, Tom Hanks. But when I think of Robert Loggia on this July 1st, 2022, when we're recording this, I think of his amazing performance in the horribly snubbed Oscar-worthy film, Independence Day. That's right. Where he says, Mr. President, I'd like to know what the hell you think you're doing. <laughs> I'm a pilot. I, love him I belong movie. in the air. Exactly. Jesse, me and you need to do a two-man show where we just re- we do all the – I play Robert Loggia and you do Bill Pullman. <laughs> And we I've just done a Bill Pullman speech before. <laughs> yes, and it was amazing. <laughs> that was, was that was was that like a that was, was that just a, a random get together or was that like for, was that for like Daniel or somebody's birthday or something? So or I believe birthday, it was or? for Matt's birthday. We were all at a Chinese restaurant and we decided to yeah. play a game. Um, I don't remember what the game was, but somehow it led me to doing the Independence Day speech. I think it went from movie quotes to like speeches, and then. In the middle of this restaurant, Jesse, you know, we're all sitting down laughing, having a good time. He gets up and delivers it. And I mean, he delivered it. We got up and cheered after that speech. It yep. was amazing. They tore the building like, down yeah, after that because it wasn't getting any better. He was like, nothing, nothing will ever happen to this location, this space that, that's better than that. So we have to tear it down. It's, it's uh, like Johnny Depp's character in what was that? Uh, What's Upon a Time in Mexico? I have to kill the cook because – this is the best meal I've ever had. Yeah. Whatever logic that that means. Yep. <laughs> anyway, yeah, but uh, of course, July Fourth. It's, it's officially July Fourth weekend, so mm-hmm. you need to watch. Everybody needs to watch the three most important movies about America or July Fourth: Independence Day, Team America, and the greatest film ever made, Jaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, start a panic on a public beach on the Fourth of July. That's not the exact quote, but start a panic on Fourth of July. Anyway. Uh, Robert Loggia, rest in peace. He actually passed away, he passed away in 2015 due to complications from Alzheimer's, which my grandfather also passed away from that too. So that's not very, not very pleasant. But he has he left a huge, huge body of work. And I think about him every time I think of Independence Day. I don't think of Will Smith. I don't think of Bill Pullman. I think of Robert Loggia. And I always and that voice, that voice, it's, it's his voice. I think that makes him so, so much of an iconic character actor. You know, most character actors, you re- you mainly kind of recognize from their fate. You know, oh, I, oh, that's that guy, Harry Dean Stanton, ninety two percent of the time. Uh, but uh, had just had that voice, and he he always had a even if it was a bit part, he really had a he would make an impact when he was on the screen. So, really, really talented actor for sure. Uh, Rick Zumwalt was the villain, so to speak, of the piece. Bull Hurley, uh, he was also the big uh, clown in Batman Returns. I think he's the one that the Penguin shoots. I'm not one hundred percent sure on that. Uh, but he did a lot of TV, uh, Freddy's Nightmares, Tales from the Crypt, Married with Children. He passed away in 2006 due to a heart attack, uh, which he's a big freaking dude. So it's you know fortunate. But uh, if I had to get when I was see, I saw that he passed away. I was like, oh, what, it must have been a heart attack or something. Sure enough, it was a heart attack. Uh, mm-hmm. Susan Blakely plays the wife, the doomed wife. Spoiler alert: Christina Hawk. She was also in the Towering Inferno and miscellaneous uh, TV episodes. And Alan Graff was Collins. Now this guy, he's done a lot of stunt work, uh, uh, but he was—he also—he also plays a tough, like you know, a, uh, in a sense, a character actor, but as like a tough, you know, 
B C tier kind of character in a film. But uh, in this one, like I mentioned, he was Collins. He was also in RoboCop. Uh, lots of TV. And the main reason, honestly, let's be honest, the main reason I mentioned him because he was an episode of Hardcastle and McCormick. And if you <laughs> listen to this podcast, you know, we always, I always have to, if, if somebody was in it, I'm going to mention him. Uh, but like I said, lots of stunt work, including, or infamously, I should say, he was the stunt coordinator. I think he, he, might, he might not be listed as stunt coordinator, but he's where he worked on the stunts for Rust. Yes, that Rust with Alec Baldwin. Mm. Uh, so we all know the story about that. And a couple of wrestlers made not a, necessarily a debut, but we're in this. Terry Funk pops up as Rooker. Terry Funk, that's right, WWF hardcore legend, Chainsaw Charlie. If you remember, that's uh, stint with Mankind or Cactus Jack, I think, in uh, the Attitude Era. And then none other than Scott Norton was one of the arm wrestlers seen in this in the uh, in the uh, finale. Uh, you know, he's a B C tier NWO member. Yeah. Uh, he teamed up with Buff Bagwell for Vicious and Delicious. That's what I always remember <laughs> Scott Norton when him and Buff were teamed up. Uh, not a bad wrestler at all. He was, I think, from my understanding, he was pretty big in uh, New Japan wrestling, and then kind of then you know kind of brought over because of his success there. Good wrestler, just didn't have the same success. Uh, over here that they did overseas but i mean wcw in the 90s you gotta be you gotta have a personality that enters the room 10 minutes before you do to compete with the likes of everybody all the top stars in uh ww uh wcw that time especially except goldberg all he was was a body and a jackhammer yeah <laughs> terrible mike skills any into bret hart's career so you know fuck Bill goldberg hmm. uh anyway let me, let me not taint my opinion of the man because what he did, the, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. But uh, anyway, Jesse, I'm I'm willing to bet that you've seen Over the Top. So based on your degree of how many times you've probably seen it, well, what do, what are your memories or thoughts on Over the Top? I think this movie just had too many commercials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think about every twenty minutes, it seemed like there was like ten minutes of commercials in the movie. Yeah. Way too many. I could do without the commercials. But other than that, um, uh, it's a movie you'll never forget. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, uh, like you said, because honest, honestly, when I was watching it for the podcast, I was like, I thought I had actually, like, I, I, like, it was one of those moments like, have I ever actually seen this not on television? And honestly, I don't know because it's a PG movie. So. I think they say shit one time, maybe twice. There's really nothing to cut out. So even if you didn't see it, like renting it VHS, you pretty much seen over the top, you know, like there's not, you're not missing anything in terms of like, we're not talking a TV version of RoboCop or anything, you know? Right. But yeah, this was, it was absolutely a TBS mainstay. That's where I, uh, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that's where I first saw it. And that's where I always saw it. Uh, Revisiting it, you know, as an adult with a kid, so I can now relate to the whole um, plot line of like a strange father trying to reconnect with his kid because the mother's dad was a rich snob who thought being a truck driver was a horrible profession and didn't mean anything. So he raised the sick son as himself and hid the letters that the father sent to his son. Hmm. Uh, you know, that this movie is really weird. It's just, it's, I'll say it, it's flat out weird. It's weird because the story the basic story about the father, like Stallone trying to get to like reunite with his son. It's a good story. Like that's, it's a, that's a good unpopped popcorn kernel. Right. But you 
put it in a masculinity microwave, crank it up for 10 minutes, and it explodes into a burnt, stinky piece of popcorn. Stinky, I like this movie. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Uh, but you get you get the analogy. Uh, pretty much uh, just watching it. This movie just drips testosterone. Like, every man is huge, except Robert... Uh, uh, Robert Loschek, because he's wearing a suit and he's he's threatening in a different, he's masculine in a different way, you know. But uh, you know, this is a this it's like the thing. I mean, the only real woman in the movie is his wife, who dies halfway through the movie, you know. And you only see her through a couple of phone calls, and um, you know, the the ladies in the audience. I mean, there's there's really only maybe one, only one supporting character. Like of all the you know, main and supporting cast, there's only one female in it, you know. Uh, so it's really like it's it's here's how here's my in my opinion this film it's a perfect example of an 80s movie it has at its core a good and even heartwarming story but it's bacon wrapped in 80s hyper masculinity and over the top reactions <laughs> uh pardon the pun there but uh you know everybody if you're if you're listening to this episode you probably saw this movie when you were a kid let's be honest and as a kid, I loved it. Thought it was great. Like you know, we, me and my brother, I'd want to arm wrestle my dad after watching the movie. Like, come on, dad, you know, and, you know, you never could beat him. Obviously, as a kid, you know, but it was always like you got pumped about arm wrestling. And then the next time you put on a cap after watching this movie, you you made sure you had it on backwards because uh, everybody <laughs> knew about this movie. You know, whenever whenever you'd go to school, and you know, if there was a weekend where they played over the top, like you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on TBS. When you got to school Monday, everybody wanted to have an arm wrestling tournament. That's just the way it worked in this, in, <laughs> back then. And everyone's like, over the top, man, over the top. Uh, you know, and everybody'd be like, you know, talking about their own personal little uh, skills for arm wrestling. These are, these are, you know, we were eight, nine-year-olds on the playground here. You know, it's like, like in the movie, how like he turns his wrist and slowly puts his fingers over the other person's thumb. And that gives him power. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, Arm wrestling to me is like, um, I guess, pro gaming. I guess you know it's it's barely a sport, or you know, the slapping game, you know, where people slap you know, that sport where people just get slapped in the right. face repeatedly. Uh, or parkour, you know, there is an athletic component to it. I'm not discounting that, but it's not a sport. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in the sense of. What you think of as a sport? Is there a league and is there a big group of arm wrestlers? Absolutely, these dudes obviously are are highly skilled at arm wrestling. Wrestling, I'm not discounting that. But you know, it's like uh, you know, I watch. You can YouTube like parkour like finals, and it's entertaining. But I mean, it's just kids playing tag. You know, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like it's you know, it's it's fun and it's cool. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not dissing arm wrestling arm wrestlers because I mean obviously people make a lot of money, people make careers out of it. But it's just like it's not exciting to me. You know, it's one of those it's like NASCAR. I mean, I, I don't like NASCAR a lot of but millions of people do, and that's totally cool. Not for me, dog. I get no entertainment value out of it. <laughs> Although the, just watching these clips that you have on the screen right now. These aren't clips, these this is a cases. full match. <laughs> These are full <laughs> matches, and they they last like five seconds. Okay, so this one's the longest one. What, fifteen seconds? Wow. And then they have to tie. Oh, he let together. go. They got to put on the strap. Yep. They got to put on the strap because he let go. Oh, well, they got a picture of Arnold in the background for some reason for an arm wrestling tournament. Hope they gave him permission <laughs> to use his uh, likeness. But you know, uh, yeah, over the, the top. You know, as a kid, it's oh oh oh. He must have sponsored it. Cool. <laughs> 
you know, but it's just like, and, and they just were a time of excess in every in, in reality, in the the wealth that people had, and everything was in the eighties were a big decade of excess with how the world was just working at that time, so to speak. And in the movies, you know, that's one reason why, you know, now, of course, when we talk about 80s movies, there's obviously this podcast was born of nostalgia. hundred percent, hundred percent. You can't, nostalgia is a powerful, very powerful thing. You can't discount that. However, objectively, you can look at the movies of the 60s. You can then look at the, compare them to the movies of the 70s and compare them to the movies of the 80s and then to the 90s. And the 80s, you know, the ni- I think the 90s too, and the tail end of the 70s, you know, the, the, the tail end of the 70s is probably the most, some of the most revolutionary uh, moment times in time for film. It set up the 80s. You had Halloween, you had Jaws, you had Star Wars. They, you know, right there at the end, they changed the paradigm of, the mo- of movies. And the thing is, you had, in the 80s is when you had directors and storytellers who grew up on the Universal Monsters and the Hammer films of the 60s and 70s and all the, you know, the, you know, what we considered action movies back then. Because, uh, and then they took that and then they ran, they took it to the next level. Uh, I would argue that the 90s took the 80s and just imitated it for the most part. And then uh, uh, lately, and which we'll get to in the Back to the Future segment with a recent release that I finally saw, uh, we're getting back to that, like, stepping it up from the 80s. Not copying what we saw or just imitating it, but actually improve, like, okay, I grew up on the, on movies like this. Let me take it to the next level. That's where you get your John Wicks, that kind of thing, your Fury Roads, and, spoiler alert, which we're going to talk about in, in the end of the podcast, your Top Gun Mavericks. Uh but you're over the top. It, it, it's a good movie. It's fun, and it's it, to me. It's like it, it. It's 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 two faced though because you really you have these really honestly good moments with Stallone and his son in the film. Like he's like they set it up good. Like to where look, I didn't really run away. I didn't leave you. You know, I didn't mean to. I had to, I had to get away from your your grandfather is the one that's been doing this. Well, you know, Stallone, you're, you're willing to run a truck through his front door, but you didn't stand and fight for him. You know, ten years ago, whatever. You know, so like. Again, you that's kind of beyond the film or outside the timeline of the film. But that story, like, it's really good. But they wrap, you know, it's like they had an, an idea to do an arm wrestling movie and they built the story around that. But mm-hmm. the story they built around is actually good to where you should have just cut out the arm wrestling thing <laughs> and just made it him and, you know, this movie would have been like a good, you know, again, understand what I'm saying here. You know, it would have been a good movie if it was more of a drama with just Stallone, like, reconnecting with his son because i think him and uh what was the kid's name david the actor was david sloan and uh they uh, or sly and david had a good chemistry in it and you know i mean it starts off where the kid runs runs out of his truck and runs through traffic like practically trying to commit suicide crying and you know like you have heavy drop like the like if you really think about what's going on with their relationship in this film it's pretty damn heavy um when the mom dies, because they get to the hospital, you know, because you, if you don't remember, the whole plot line that started off is that David's grad or Mike, Mike Hawk, is graduating yes. from military school, and his da- his mom wants his dad to pick him up and bring him to her so they can reconnect because they've been estranged. Because the grand, as we come to realize over the plot, the point, the you know, the movie, if you don't remember, is that the grandfather was keeping him apart because he didn't like Stallone. He wanted to buy him off, all that kind of stuff. 
You know, so that's a, that's a good that's a good story. So they reconnect. It's very awkward. It's played really well acting wise. To be perfectly honest with you, I was impressed. To be honest, because as a kid, I didn't give a I didn't care about that. I didn't care about that. I want to get to the arm wrestling. This is over the top. It's Stallone. You know, I want to see him in a tank top and sweaty and turn that hat backwards and become a machine. You know, uh, and then like you have, and then the scene where they get to the hospital and they find out she died like on the operating table, and the kid like just you know, the, uh, to his credit, David uh, Mendenhall, good acting. Be honest with you, where it's like you know, if, if I would have gone with my grandfather, I, I wouldn't have, I would have been able to see her before she died. It, it's it's good. It's good drama. Like. This film has serious drama in it. But then two seconds later, it's like, yeah, you know, this is how I work out of my truck. You know, this, he's got a weight bench in his truck. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they had the encounter with Bull at the, uh, he teaches him the arm wrestle on the pinball machine with the, the uh, kid, and t- you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, it, just, it goes from being, like I said, you got a really good story, but then they, it's, then all of a sudden the hyper masculinity, the excess of the 80s kicks in to where arm wrestling is this huge thing. And actually, it was at that time, but you got a chicken or the egg here. It was because the movie company made it a big deal to promote the movie about arm wrestling. Mm-hmm. They made it a big deal, so it would be a big deal. It could realistically be a big deal in the movie. More on that in the trivia, which we'll get to in just a second. But yeah, uh, if, if you haven't seen it since you were a kid on TBS, and with you know a set of older eyes, I recommend revisiting it. It's it's still it's there's nothing wrong with it, but it is definitely you know it's, it, it's one of the most '80s movies you could think of in terms of not necessarily how it looks because it looks fine. It's well you know the, the direction the all that it's not bad, not bad at all. Uh, technically, I guess I should say it's not a bad film in, in any regards. Uh, but like you have it just it's a perfect summation of an '80s film got a good story but now let's wrap it let's make that story so excessive let's put all this stuff around it just because we can i guess you know we, we got stallone so he has to do something masculine you can't have stallone knitting oh wait that's the 90s uh so you, you had to which well honestly that's the part that, that shows you that's more so to speak to the genius of demolition man you know how they they subvert that idea of Stallone being in a movie because you see Schwarzenegger on the on a movie screen on the on the top of a marquee, you know nine times out of ten he's killing Russians, <laughs> or you know whoever we're at war with at the excuse me at the time, or he's a Terminator because that's his big franchise, you know uh, you see but I mean he also did Kindergarten Cop he did uh, I think oh no he did twin he did Twins I think before Kindergarten Cop. You know, he proved he had some comedic chops, but still, I mean, his ratio to action to comedy is still 90% action. Uh, Stallone, you know, Rocky's a drama. It's an action drama, but I would say it's a, every, well, Rocky one, two, and three are dramas. And then every other Rocky is an action movie, uh, four and five, at least uh, Creed's definitely a drama. Uh, but four is cause totally four is a, is a perfect correlation between Rocky four and over the top. Same kind of thing. You got a good story. Great story. But then now let's wrap it, you know, in Rocky Four, you're wrapping it in the excess of the Cold War hysteria and communism. You know, that boogeyman that never has left the American zeitgeist. Communism. Watch out, everybody. Woke alert. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Triggered it. Sorry, I said the C word. <laughs> uh, being facetious. Wink, wink. Anyway, so yeah, over the top. It was, it, you know, it's, a, it's not one that I'll own. I'll never own it. I don't need to own it. I've seen it enough. You know, I'll watch it in another 10 years and that's fine. I'm good with that. So, but if you haven't seen it since, you know, the good old days of TBS and like Jesse uh, insinuated with commercials, you know, <laughs> it's definitely worth a revisit. For- 
for sure. So it's it's still fun. And, it, and honestly, it's kind of sad in, 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 in just a way because, like I said before, just to sum up one more time, it really does have some good drama in it. Like seriously, like I was I was surprised at how good those parts are played. But it's night and day once it gets to the, you know, the arm wrestling matches where Stallone like doesn't say anything, just like, you know, he's acting with his eyes and all the other characters are pro wrestlers, like drinking motor oil and screaming in his face and all that, you know, over the top. There it is again, over the top characters, uh, opponents for him. And I'll say, you know what? This this bugged me a lot about the movie. This is this is. I guess it's meta, but in the in the final like tournament in Vegas at the Las Vegas Hilton, they say I want to say at least like they take the time to have nobody else talking and the announcer to say, just remember, folks, this is a double elimination tournament. You have to lose two times to lose to be out. Uh, they say that at least four to five times, like to make sure you understand that when he loses in the semifinals, he's not out. But to my knowledge, the way those tournaments work is that when you get to the finals, it's usually somebody who's lost once and somebody who hasn't lost at all. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, if, if, if you know some, have some insight on that. <laughs> but he only has to beat Bull one time to win the whole thing. So correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, usually in a double elimination tournament, that applies to everybody. People, yes. <laughs> So he basically, he should have had to wrestle him twice because now they both have one loss. But it's just one match that, if I have to say one complaint about the film, the slow motion on that last arm wrestling match is like five minutes long. <laughs> Come on. You know, it's an arm wrestling match. And like you just showed me, Jesse, I was like, oh, these are some cool highlights. You're like, no, those are the whole matches. Yeah, that's how long that last match should have been. Just like, you know, a little strain, close up of each of their eyes, going, you know, Sloan's about to lose. Dad, come on, Dad, over the top. Cuts to the kid, cuts back to Stallone. His eyes get laser focused on Bull, and he pulls it up. Holy, what are we watching? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So, visual visual cue on audio podcast. So there's a Minnesota this man is, with sizable arms becomes uh, arm wrestling champ. I think he's just the, born with should be illegal. That's Wreck-It right Ralph. That's not a human. <laughs> That's Wreck-It Ralph. I swear to God, like this dude, like imagine if Wreck-It Ralph had, was real. This dude, l- legit, <laughs> my God, it, it looks like it looks like a, a CG effect. Imagine Andre the Giant's wild. hands on uh, oh who's a skinny gosh. actor, Christian Bale. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, so my God. Look up uh, Wreck-It Ralph. I mean, Minnesota man with sizable <laughs> arms becomes arm wrestling champ. On some small like, news station, Mike. Uh, yeah, he looks like Scott Bakula. Took some. <laughs> got, he does. <laughs> got really. Is this allergic. an episode of Quantum Leap? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My God, like it is. It is. It is like legit. Like that was a live reaction. I've never seen this. Of like this is. <laughs> it looks. I swear to God, it looks like a. It looks fake. Uh huh. It looks like he's got swelling. Like. Yeah, they're showing Popeye now. He does look like Popeye. I mean, it's oh, he's, and he's holding Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, of course. They, they know it. They know. Wow, <laughs> that is insane. He should have been the guy that over the top. <laughs> so I would have lost in two seconds. Dunk, <laughs> dunk, dunk. He just and winner. Oh my god! Wow. Okay, most people because you know we talk about wrestling a lot and all that, and we yeah, Vince you know, McMahon we're from the eighties, like getting wet, <laughs> heavy breathing. <laughs> 
But uh, you, 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 most people might have seen that picture of Andre the Giant holding a beer can, and like the whole can is within his palm. This dude's hands are bigger than that. <laughs> it's like two of and my. That fists. is insane. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, and and he's obviously not that tall either. I mean, Andre was tall. Yeah, Andre was literally a giant. This dude looks like he might be maybe six feet at the most. I don't know. He's just all and has eyes. hands the size of Andre the Giant. <laughs> My God, like seriously, like, look this up on YouTube, people. This is <laughs> he's a cart. He's a literal cartoon <laughs> character. <laughs> oh, he <laughs> just showed a baby picture. <laughs> you have to. You ha- seriously, people. You have to go look at this. You will understand why we're taking this tangential talk and talking about a visual <laughs> thing on an audio podcast. This is insane. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. We have to move. Okay. (laughs) This is incredible. He's a mutant. Like, like professor Xavier would have some heavy breathing. Like what's your name? Uh, uh, I'm trying to think on the flyer. What would his mutant name be? Would you just have giant arms? Freakishly large hands. Uh, long, no long arm would be long. Oh my God. You put a toilet roll just over like one finger. His ring finger. (laughs) It's like tight. That's crazy. Good God. That, oh Seriously, God. people. Like, it is. He went as Popeye for Halloween. Perfect. <laughs> Good God. It's. That is. That's incredible. <laughs> it just looks like a scene from a movie, like with you, know, with like a Marvel film, with like this, like he gets bit by the radioactive arm wrestling thing or something. I don't know. What has big. What's an animal that has big hands? A praying man. Oh, no. That's. They don't have big hands. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What animal has big hands? I mean, bigger. Nothing. This guy. This guy's the <laughs> this only guy. thing in the world with big hands. He just has gigantic arms. God. His mutant name would be John because that's his real name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we really just don't know what to call you because your arms are just freaking huge. X Men. We have Cyclops, Wolverine, and John. <laughs> his little animated thing is just him smiling with his arms like this gigantic basic t-shirt. it zooms out and it's an exceptionally long zoom out because his arms are so big and it's just john and he fights the, you know he's the one that like oh no the brother, brotherhood of mutants are attacking and it's like you know juggernaut's like ah i'm gonna get you wolverine john's like no logan let me handle this and just uppercuts the juggernaut to space oh, my god uh, an actual doritos bag looks like the snack bag in his hand this is insane okay no, that's just crazy <laughs> God, like, look it up. Like, yeah, everybody has to. This is insane. You know what? Look, you know. Okay, here's what it looks like. I I made the correlation. There was a movie in the '90s with I think it was Danny Glover and Martin Short, and it was called Pure Luck. And there's a scene. Basically, Martin Short is accident prone, and there's a scene in it where he gets stung by like one bee, (laughs) and his entire body like swells up. Kind of like he be, could he could fit a dozen eggs in his hand. Oh, he can hold a dozen eggs in one hand. Martin Short can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how yeah. he has freakishly long hands too. It's just crazy. Oh, uh, but yeah, in that movie, he gets stung by a bee, and it has this scene where like, "Are you okay?" And then it cuts to him, and you don't know what he looks like. But then his he's he looks like Jiminy Glick at that right, point. Right. Yeah, just completely. Someone's like, "Yes, fine, thank you." That's what this dude's arms look like. It looks like Martin Short got stung by a bee, and his hands are freakishly large. <laughs> But on a normal oh, body, that's what man. makes it look so crazy. It's a normal size, like head. <laughs> Weird. It looks like it looks like the shrunken head dude in the Beetlejuice waiting room. Right. It's insane. <laughs> it's God, like no. But I wonder, you know, because arm wrestling, I imagine, is also, you know, it's 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 full arm strength. It's it, we're looking at mainly his forearms are kind of what's really big. So I wonder how much of an advantage he actually has. 
Like, well, you know, I mean, he's the champ, so well, he, or he's a champ, I should say. Um, <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. Okay. okay. This isn't his podcast. <laughs> it's becoming. That, that is. This is like seriously though. This is one of the craziest things I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Insane, yeah. but uh, trivia for over the top. Back to there was your, your in the real world part right there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's insane. Uh, yeah, he has, he has Dustin Hoffman's nose though. He has that like right. Imagine, Scott Bakula yeah, eyes. Scott Bakula and, and Dustin Hoffman's nose and mouth, and Andre right. the Giant's hands. <laughs> it's just insane. Good God! Wow, insane. He's getting funnier. Just, it just shows him walking in his house, and it's hilarious. I'm so sorry. Y'all yeah. can't see this. He's y'all like so to. wide. But not, not because – not where you think you'd be wide. Exactly. <laughs> it's like that uh, lady in the water, that dude that only exercised one half of his body. <laughs> yeah, this guy's all Anyway, arms. back to over the top and <laughs> – Trivia, uh, but uh, Stallone years later explained that he agreed to make the movie because the director, uh, Menahem Golan, uh, kept offering more and more money until he finally thought, well, nobody's going to see it, so might as well make, take the money. Uh, so that's that's kind of that's his excuse, I should say, why he signed on for it. And he, but he was also very unhappy with the final film. And in an interview with Ain't It Cool News, he said that if he directed it, which again Stallone does have serious directing chops. Uh, he would have changed the setting to an urban environment. You scored music instead of rock songs. That's actually a really good point because the rocks about the excess, the drama parts have kind of a score to it. But then the second they have like, you know, I love you, dad. I love you too, son. And then it me- immediately in the Sammy Hagar, just like, just, again, just the, 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 the contrast between the drama and the action. Uh, but he says he would have used, uh, when did it use score music instead of rock songs? And he would have made Las Vegas finale more ominous. Which that makes honestly that, that that that's a really good critique of the film. Honestly, and I agree with everything he's saying because uh, you know it just it, the ending just kind of happens. Uh, he gets out of jail and just goes and sells his truck and competes in the tournament. Like there's no like real. I mean the stakes are there, but it's there's no real like you don't feel that it's a threat. A because you know he's going to win anyway. But uh, as I mentioned before, that there was a real life over the top arm wrestling tournament that was created once the movie was approved for production. This is smart marketing, to be honest with you. The organizer work, worked closely with producers at Canon Films and to host the tournament while the film was being made. The contest was described as, quote, the biggest event in arm wrestling history, end quote, uh, beginning with the first qualifier qualifier, excuse me, <clears throat> in Beverly Hills in August of 85. The competition lasted a year throughout all of North America and included qualifying events in Europe, Israel, and Japan. The finale took place on July 26, 1986, with an 18-hour marathon tournament at, you guessed it, the Las Vegas Hilton. See, they're all so smart. We're going to market this, and we're going to use this setting to film the finale. The only exceptions were the scenes that featured Stallone. Oh, I'm sorry. The movie featured many real-life arm wrestlers and footage from the finals. The only exceptions were the scenes that featured Stallone, whose matches were filmed the day after the real finals. The same location was used, and the extras who made up the audience in those scenes were the same fans who came to watch it a few days earlier. Uh, again, that's smart marketing, and there's your, there, your now you got your your set for the finale. So really, really smart, to be honest with you, on their behalf. And then we got uh, John. Uh, let's see how you pronounce this name: Bresnik or Briz, Brzink? John Brzink, B R Z E N K. 
Uh, we'll just call him Johnny B. He's the real-life arm wrestler who inspired the character of Lincoln Hawk. He won the trucker's class of the actual over-the-top tournament. And the winner, he actually won a Volvo white truck and trail mobile trailer that was the, actually the grand prize in the movie. So that truck, that big white truck you see in the movie is what he actually won, who mm. was the inspiration for the character in the tournament that was created to promote the movie that had a character inspired by him in it. Multi uh, Inception. Arm wrestling Inception. The truck at the in the 80s, that truck alone was worth a quarter of a million dollars. So... Wow, and then after he won, he, he uh, Johnny B took the truck on a tour across the country to promote the film, and he later sold it and bought a 1987 Corvette with the money. So he traded it in for a Corvette. Uh, Rick Zumwalt was actually the studio's third choice for Stallone's rival. Of course, he's just the guy we're talking about that actually played Bull. Uh, they originally wanted arm wrestling champion Cleve Dean, but he was so massive compared to Stallone that it wouldn't have looked believable that Stallone <laughs> could beat him. He was so big. So they went with professional wrestler Ox Baker. And when Baker didn't pan out, the role went to Rick Sumwalt. Hmm. Uh, and, and speaking of him, he was paid $10,000 to shave his head for the film. And he liked it so much, he never grew his hair back. Hmm. I wish somebody would say, hey, Trey, I'll give you $10,000 to shave your head. <laughs> Come back next month. We'll do it again. Yep. Uh, John Wetton, the lead singer of the rock group Asia. Uh, Jesse, can you name one song by the rock group Asia? Beijing. I don't know. <laughs> Heat of the moment. Oh, right, that's the right. Only, that's, the, that's the only song I know by him. So if, if you named another one, I would have to take your word for it. Uh, but uh, the producers thought that uh, his voice was, quote, not, not, quote, mean enough. So they then had Sammy Hagar, pre-Van Halen, uh, to do the song Winner Takes It All. And uh, Hagar did do a music video to promote the song in the film, which featured both Bull somewhat or, the, uh, or uh, Rick Zumwalt, who played Bull, and Stallone himself in the music video. And the truck, the Lincoln Hawk truck, appears in the 1989 movie The Wizard. Uh, the first appearance in the film, it says Hawk trucking on the driver door. A few minutes later, the passenger door has a white sign with a different name on it <laughs> for some reason. And we like to talk about what ifs in the world of movies. And Don Johnson, Sonny, uh, I almost said Sonny Bono. What was his name in Miami? It was Sonny in Miami Vice, wasn't it? Was it a uh, Sunny? I see you looking up. I'm trying to I think it was somebody sure it was Sunny. He was Sunny, and the other guy was Chico. It, Miami Vice is an amazing show from the 80s. Uh, Detective James Cro Crockett, Sunny Crockett. That's it. That was his Sunny Crockett. Yeah. So, uh, and was it his friend was Tubbs? Excuse me, Ricardo. So, yeah, Ricardo Tubbs. Again, I'm trying to remember a show I haven't seen in, in 30 <laughs> years. Uh, I will say this, though the movie, the Miami Vice movie, Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx is an underrated, fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, give it a shot. It is a great movie. Uh, underrated, great score, great acting, very well done, underrated. Uh, oh, but anyway. So he's Sonny Crockett, but the other guy was James Crockett. Huh. Well, I think Sonny was his nickname even in the show. Oh, okay, okay. Because... Because I mean, my parents watched the show there as in the kids as in the eighties, and of course, when you're a kid in the eighties, you're usually watching whatever shows your parents are watching. Yeah, for the most part. Uh, so that's, that was my knowledge of it. Because I, I always thought Don Johnson was like one of the coolest dudes because he wore like penny loafers and he wore a suit with a t-shirt. And literally, when I have to go somewhere and, and like if we don't have to wear a tie, I'm wearing a nice, you know, uh, a nice t-shirt or polo, and I don't do the button-up tie thing. That's not me. 
Uh, but it's all inspired by my uh, Sonny Crockett from Miami Vice. Anyway, but John Johnson was envisioned to star in the film, which would make it a little more realistic. But I mean, look at John Don Johnson next to Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> You know, Don Johnson's not winning any arm wrestling tournaments, uh, at least in the 80s, where you have pro wrestlers as the oppo- uh, opposition. Uh, but then uh, they wanted to focus on star power to bring a name to it. Uh, and so naturally, Stallone. Obviously, you have Stallone on the title, in the, on the uh, marquee. That's going to bring in some people. That's going to cause more attention than Don Johnson. Don Johnson, fine actor. But, I mean, in the 80s, you don't have a candle, so Stallone. The only person that does is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, and then in the montage of, of arm wrestling towards the end of the film, one competitor goes so hard that his elbow breaks. And this was a gentleman by the name of Michael Bosu, a German national champion who was in Los Angeles for a wrestling tournament during the shooting of the film. And the break in the film is very, very real and was obviously unplanned. Hmm. So look for that in the montage before the, the semifinals, I believe, is where it's at. And so that's all the trivia for this episode on over the top score wise. I give it a six. It's not bad. It's not great. It's it's solid. It's uh like I said. It's it's honestly I'd say it's a five. But because this podcast is called '80s Revisited, and I've said earlier, I said earlier that I think it's a great example of an '80s movie. I'm giving it a little. I'm giving it. I'm giving it one extra point for that uh, in terms of how we rate movies here for the most part. Because like like I said earlier, nostalgia is both good and bad. Uh, in this film, there's a lot of nostalgia, but technically it's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with it technically, but the story, again, you go from really good drama to wink, wink, over the top <laughs> plot line and action. And they don't, me- it really just doesn't mesh, but that's a perfect example of an eighties action film. So, uh, Jesse, based on your memory, again, just, just for fun, you know, based on your recollections of the film, if you had to give a number, if you were in an arm wrestling tournament <laughs> and I said, give me a number, Jesse. Actually, uh, that wouldn't be a threat because we just we would just arm wrestle and that would be it. <laughs> That'd be it. It's either yeah, so zero anyway, or ten. Based on your recollection. <laughs> uh, well, it's yeah, when you said six in my mind, I was saying five, and then you said five. So I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, it's right on par. Yeah, so, yeah, so there you go. There's a, there's somebody who, you know, you saw it when you were a kid, so just to give the kind of a perspective to it, so but yeah, I would like. Bottom line is, it would be. I would say, if you haven't seen it since a long since TBS and those days, give it a watch. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch, and you'll probably never go back to it because, let's be honest, Stallone has made much, 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 much better films. Yep. Uh, anyway, again, in the real world, this released February thirteenth, nineteen eighty-seven. One of the few Friday the Thirteenth without a Friday the Thirteenth film. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let's see. Seven days later, on February twentieth. The second Unabomber bomb explodes at a Salt Lake City, four hours up the road from where I currently live now, a computer store, injuring the owner. And uh, kids, uh, they have some great, I think there's a good Netflix documentary or Amazon Prime documentary about the Unabomber. Uh, there's a, good, a great movie with, uh, I think, one of the most underrated actors of our time, Charto Copley. If you know who he is, he's the guy from District 9 and, uh, was that, Hardcore Henry. He's been a lot of stuff. He's a really, really great actor. Anyway, where he played Ted Kaczynski, really a recent movie. I forget the name of it, but it's really good. Uh, but most people, when you think about the Unabomber, you think about that sketch of the guy in the hood, basically Weird Al in a hoodie. It's what he looked like. Oh, but I remember right, as right. a kid when that when that sketch when that sketch it was all over the news. It was a big deal. The Unabomber was very a very deal, and like I think one of the Time or one of the major magazines 
published on the cover that photo. And that photo terrified me as a kid. Like, you know, this mysterious guy who looks like this is mailing out bombs. If you see it, like they would tell you, like if you see a package anywhere in the United States, don't touch it. Call the bomb squad. It was, it was a very serious thing uh, when, it was, when it was happening. But it was this attack on February 20th, 1987, that led to the widely distributed sketch of the suspect as a hooded man with a mustache and aviator sunglasses, a.k.a. Bad Weird Al. <laughs> uh, so very interesting there. Cool history. And then Born, again, uh, Born four days before Over the Top debuted at theaters. Michael B. Jordan, not Michael Jordan. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, the fantastic actor and producer. Uh, oh, what's that? Uh, court, I mean, uh, speaking of Stallone, it would, would be when Stallone in the Creed franchise as uh, 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 Adonis Creed right. in those two films. Uh, great. He's fantastic in that movie. He's a great actor. Of course, he was Killmonger. In Black Panther, he was in one of those Marvel movies where the villain was better than the hero, uh, in my opinion. No disrespect to uh, Chadwick Boseman, uh, but kind of agreed with what uh, Killmonger was saying in that film, aside from the, you know, his bombing, so to speak. Hmm. But uh, oh, what is that green? Is it was it Greenville Station that uh, he was in? Uh, my really really good movie. I think it was called Greenville Station. No, Fruitville Fruitville Station. I think's the name of it. Uh, it's one of his early films, but fantastic movie. If you like, if you're if you like Michael B. Jordan, haven't seen that one, check it out. I think it's Fruitvale. You see it on there? It should be one of his early things. Fruitvale Station, yeah. Okay, yeah. Something Somethingville. Great, great film. He's a great actor. Uh again, born four days before Over the Top came out. And then we did a couple of notable deaths too around the same time. Uh nine days before it debuted, unfortunately. The great pianist, singer, and actor, and Las Vegas, uh, notable Las Vegas resident, Liberace, passed away before he got a chance to see Over the Top. Not that I think he would. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about Liberace, there was a great HBO movie uh, made a few years back with uh, uh, Michael Douglas and uh, I think Matt Damon. Matt Damon. As, uh, uh, I think, I think uh, oh, shoot. Uh, Douglas, I think, was Liberace yep. uh, in it because uh, great, uh, great movie if you don't know anything about that. Check it out. And then February 22nd, you know, few to, uh, let's see, what is that? Uh, nine days after Over the Top debuted, Andy Warhol, legendary artist, director, and writer, passed away on February 22nd, 1987. Mm. So there's your birth death and what was going on in the world. Now let's go back to the future and talk about some stuff that we've seen recently. I've seen a ton of stuff. I've made up for lost time this past week. Uh, week while you're on vacation, we're recording. Uh, we're recording about uh, two days later than we normally actually record. Je- Jesse had a nice trip. We were talking about off the air, nice vacation. Uh, so we pushed back our recording day a few days. But I've seen a ton of stuff, and I know we've both seen Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. This is one I was like, when they were throwing out all the ads out there, I was like, I can wait for this one. You know, the way things are now with Disney Plus. Most movies are going to fall under that category. Um, mm-hmm. In the meantime, I watched WandaVision and all those other things that were coming out. And good thing I did, because that was very important to this watching this movie. So if you haven't watched WandaVision or you haven't watched this movie, clearly spoilers ahead. But uh, it's basically the season two of WandaVision. <laughs> yeah, in a big sense. Yeah. Uh, so that was a pleasant surprise because I did not know much about going into it. I didn't know that uh, Wanda would have such a big role. I didn't know who the big bad was. And um, yeah, it was nice to see that 
that was the big bad Wanda pretty much. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed watching. I watched it by myself. And so I had to tell the wife, I was like, all right, you need to watch that so we can talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. But it was nice seeing all the cameos through, um, the other multiverses. It's funny. It's, it's, all about the multiverse and introducing it yet they really only hung out in like two of them <laughs> maybe yeah. three of them technically counting there's themselves but there's so I many so much room. Like a cartoon one or something and hang out you know have like yeah. an animated sequence or something ridiculous <laughs> oh well that's probably what they're going to say about x-men 97 that's coming out later is that that's mm. just one of the other multiverses that are out there I mean, you could say yeah. that technically about any movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> that's just another version. <laughs> that's that's now a Marvel movie. That Tesla movie, yeah, that was him. That was Doctor Strange when he was Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. That's, yeah, that's a pretty spot on. <laughs> but yeah, overall enjoyed that one very much um, more than I thought I would. I guess because my bar was kind of set low. Yeah, just mm-hmm. because I didn't know much about it. Um, but yeah, what do you think of that? This is it. It's a double-edged sword for me. Uh, I I like I liked it overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I liked more about it than what was kind of being said and like story-wise and all that, I liked the visuals. Oh, and yeah. we're kind of talking a bit off, bit about bit off camera. Is that Sam Raimi? is one of the greatest flat out living directors out there. You know, somebody gave us that unfair one star review saying we were shitting on Spielberg, mm-hmm. but which we didn't, you know, <laughs> right. but Sam Raimi still has it. He still has that style. Like there is no doubt when you're watching Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness that you're watching a Sam Raimi movie. In fact, if, if I, if I didn't know he was directing it, I guarantee, of course, you know, oh, of course you would say that in hindsight. Yes, you're absolutely right. But believe me, I've seen Evil Dead and Army of Darkness, uh, Evil Dead, let me be specific. I've seen Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness as much as I've seen Star Wars, flat out. Two of my most favorite movies of all time. Pillars of my childhood. Uh, So I know, I know Sam Raimi. I know his directing style. And him, I went, I went in. I went, I, at first, I had very high expectations for this film because Sam Raimi is doing a Marvel movie. And if there was any Marvel movie he should do, aside from something like Ghost Rider or, you know, or even Morbius, you know, something that is more has horror elements to it, this is the best one for him. Also, I love Benedict Cumberbatch as, Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. I think that's, that's some of the best casting Marvel ever did. I like, I like his character. I like... Uh, I like the first Doctor Strange movie. I think it's underrated in terms of the Marvel oeuvre. I think it, most people put it near the bottom. I think it's solid mid tier. Um, but like I've watched since since it, I didn't see it in the theater, I saw it on Disney Plus. Like you, I've watched it. I've wa- I watched it the first time, obviously to watch it. But it's been my go to movie just to put on and watch and have it on in the background for hmm. the past couple weeks or since it came out. Like we were playing D and D the other night. I uh, just had it on mute, just watching it while I'm in between rounds. You know. Uh, it's visually what I, what the praise I have for Dr. Strange and multiverse of madness is mainly that this is what happens to a Marvel movie where you take an established director, 
who has style, who brings something incredible, their own flair to a Marvel movie. If you look back at all the other Marvel movies, I would argue the only other Marvel movie that has a distinct MCU, official MCU movie, that has a, a distinct trademark directing style is the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. We all know that I'm a simp for James Gunn. But this is a Sam Raimi movie first in terms mm-hmm. of the visuals. Not so much the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, it definitely seems like they gave him some leeway that they, wouldn't, that they didn't give to some of the other directors. Because if you look at the other Marvel movies, for the most part, they're not, they're not, I'm not saying there's bad directors making Marvel movies. I'm saying they're taking young directors who, like uh, Chloe Zhao from, she, did, she made Nomadland, one best picture. I don't agree that was the best picture or the best directed movie that year. Good director, they give her Eternals. Like, you know, you're, you go from super independent to MCU. Oh, let me add to that too. Uh, James Gunn, Taika Waititi. He has a directing style. Whether or not you agree with it, which I don't agree with some of that, which we talked about off the air, Jesse. Uh, he he brought his vision to Thor, which, like it or not, that's what we got. That's where we're at now with Love and Thunder coming out. Um, so my praise for Doctor Strange is mainly for uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is a fantastic Doctor Strange. So I, and, and him him and uh, the guy that plays Wong, I can't think. Oh God, I can. Um, hold on, uh, Dave. Is it Dave? I don't. Okay, you have to look it up for me because I'm drawing a blank now. It's on the tip of my tongue, and I lost it. Benedict. Uh, Benedict Wong. Yeah. God, it was. I, 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 knew, I, I knew his last name was actually Wong. I was like, he has. A, he has like a anglicized first name though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have the two Benedicts, but him and Cumberbatch have such good chemistry. I love their chemistry in the film. Elizabeth Olsen as a villain, she's great. Uh, and when when Raimi goes full Evil Dead. It's mm-hmm. fantastic, uh, you know, where, where she, again, spoilers, where she decimates the Illuminati, the worst yeah. kept cameo in all of the, ever <laughs> in the MCU, except maybe uh, Peter, uh, except maybe uh, No Way Home's cameos with Garfield and uh, McGuire. Uh, movie was out like two days and it was already like pictures of John Krasinski as Mr. Vanessa. Like, oh, well, I don't, <laughs> no rush to see it now. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, of course, Patrick, put Patrick Stewart in the freaking trailer. They knew like something was up. Uh, the biggest surprise to me was Charlize Theron at the end uh, being Clea. Right. Which is great because I love – she. I mean, again, I've said this when it came out. I'll say it again. She should have been Captain Marvel. Oh, she's too old. As to that, I say bullshit. I say Mad Max Fury Road. I say Atomic Blonde. She should have been Captain Marvel. Uh, no, shot, no shots to Brie Larson. I just think that character needed somebody who was older and more – wizened so to speak uh for that particular character uh that's i'm not saying i'm not being one of those incels saying they don't like brie larson because whatever reason captain marvel is one of my favorite mcu character or marvel comics characters and i just think they you know brie larson was amazing in room she was great in that unicorn party store movie on netflix whatever it was a fun movie she was uh, autistic or something she was great great actress just didn't fit that role for me. But anyway, we're talking about Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, my biggest, honestly, my biggest complaint with the movie is the wigs. I usually <laughs> don't notice stuff like that, but uh, Benedict Wong's wig was insane in this movie. <laughs> there were like so many shots where I was like, "Is this what is going on? Like, is this, are we in a different multiverse? Because his hair changes dramatically in the movie, like between scenes, even sometimes." Uh, but. 
overall, I did like it. And again, I, uh, let me step a little bit back. Uh, I was super hyped for it. And then our good friend, uh, Ben Wyatt, Doomslayer down in Tasmania, he saw it at the theater, I believe, and just mentioned that he, I think he, he, he didn't like it. He was pretty strong about his, I think he said he might, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, I don't have time to look it up on Facebook for our conversation because we've talked lots since then, but I think he hated it even, or just, mm. or just thought it was bad, or said it was really bad. So I'm like, I'm, I'm misquoting him, but it, along those lines. Uh, so when he said that, I was like, oh crap, you know, because I, Ben's one of those people who gives an opinion on a movie. I tend to, I give it, I give it credibility because I'm, we've known each other long enough and our tastes are very similar. So then thankfully I'm glad he told me that because that lowered my expectations for it. Yeah. I think that's where I was like, I still wanted to see it, but I went in knowing that, you know, good friend of mine whose opinion I agree with a, a lot of things really didn't like it. So that, that really helped measure my expectations, which I'll be honest with you. In movies these days, seriously, I think that's the biggest thing for people that everybody needs to understand. Like, measure your expectations when you go see any movie, mm-hmm. even if you're hyped for it. That's going to make a difference. Although I'm going I'm to completely hypocriticize myself when I talk about another movie in a minute, uh, which I mentioned already. But yeah, I I, I liked it. Uh, I would say it's I, I liked it better than the first Doctor Strange. I would put it mid tier for me. I think it is one of the best directed MCU movies period for the reasons i stated before uh i wish you know sam i don't think he i'm trying to think the, is the last movie that he even directed like drag me to hell i can't even think of the last sam movie it's like official no no he directed some episodes of ash versus evil dead that's the last time we've seen something directed by sam raimi which is a, a shame because like i said he i th- his he has such a style that such directors, to be honest with you, like James Gunn and Taika Waititi and numerous others are inspired by because it's such – it's genius. Like uh, I'll say it, you know, and people – you can watch Evil Dead and all that. Oh, it's so silly. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely because you know what? Sam Raimi doesn't like making horror movies. He wants to make funny movies. They just – it was easy to make – it's easy to make horror movies. That's why Evil Dead exists. Go talk to Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi. They're not like some horror gurus. They don't like making horror movies, which is in, which is incredible because they made three of the most iconic and horror movies ever, and one of the most iconic characters in the history of film with Ash. Uh, but anyway, uh, Sam, like it's really shocking that he hasn't directed. This is his first big movie in a long, long time. Uh, you know, so I, I hope he comes back. And and you know, he's he he it, James Gunn can make a, a movie about anything. I'm going to go see it. Sam Raimi can make a movie about anything. I'm going to go see it. Spielberg, yes, bad review person who didn't listen to what we were saying a few episodes ago. If Spielberg makes a movie, I'm going to see it. Although, full disclosure, the only movie of his I haven't seen is West Side Story because I need to set aside three hours to watch the damn thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because I'm going to see what he's going to do. But uh, I was just going to, and this is funny, speaking on the, a quick aside on the Spielberg thing, I was listening to another podcast and somebody, you know, hot take is what they were saying. They said they don't think. They think Spielberg's only made three good movies since Jurassic <laughs> Park. And when he said that, I, I was like, my initial reaction was like, that is very true. <laughs> then I stopped. Then you, know, you stop and you think, like, okay, what has he made? What did he make after Jurassic Park? Lost World sucked. I hate Jurassic Park 2 is terrible. Uh, is it badly directed? No. It's just you're following up Jurassic Park. What what are your what is your hope for that? Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? No. Uh, was Schindler's List before or after Jurassic Park, Jesse? For Just timelines, right after same year. So you got Schindler's List. Mm. Oh, same year. So again, release date. I think it, IMDb listed after. So we'll say Schindler's List. Yeah. 
Munich. I think Munich is an amazing movie of his that is completely underrated. Minority Report. There's three. Uh, I liked um, oh, what you call it, the Ready Player One. I like. I mean, but again, that's a lot of that is because of all the cameos and everything. But it's a fun movie. You know, it, it pays homage to the decade that this podcast is about for the most part. So I'd say he's got four. You know, but I mean, but again, if you look at his his over before if you take go Jaws to Jurassic Park, you can't beat it. Yeah. You got Jaws, all the Indiana Jones movies, E.T., and then even if you don't take count anything else, uh, The Color Purple, which is well, I think his be- what arguably his best drama movie, Hook. I'm a when Hook came out, I liked it, and then I hated it. But as an adult, I like it again. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a soft spot for that movie. And then Jurassic Park. If that's all he ever made, he's still one of the greatest directors that ever lived. You know, but uh, like we're like the point of what we were saying in that episode, you know, there are directors out there that kind of lose their edge. I And again, I'll stand by that statement. I believe Spielberg lost some of his edge. Not all of it. He's still a fantastic director. But as we, as I said in that episode, and I'll repeat it one more time for those hard of hearing, the main object I was talking about was Ridley Scott because he definitely lost his edge. You do Alien and Blade Runner and Legend, and then you just kind of pump out crap for you know the rest of your career. Not every movie you made after that was crap. Don't get me wrong. You know what? You get what I'm saying. You never achieve those goal, those heights again. You know Spielberg, Jaws, the biggest movie and my favorite movie. Are, you know honestly, if I had to pick gun to my head, that's my favorite movie of all time. He could have stopped there and would have been a legendary director. I mean, that's if he just did that. But then he does Indiana Jones, all three of them. We don't count the fourth one. And then he comes back and arguably, you know, does for sharks what he did to does for dinosaurs what he did for sharks in terms of <laughs> creating an awareness and like making it, pop, you know, how I don't think no other director has more movies in the zeitgeist of American culture than Steven Spielberg. So to touch back to, to to again address that one star or that low review saying we hate Spielberg that, that's not the case. So as I just proved anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> but uh, what else? Have, uh, any other things you managed to uh, watch, Jesse? Since uh, we uh, last spoke, other than Doctor Strange. Um, no, no, because I was out of town for most of the time. Um, I started resuming watching um, the Orville, which I was a fan of season one and two. And then they took like three or four years off. Haven't had time to check it. Yeah. So they have a third season and just started that. I mean, they just started showing them too. So, and started Obi-Wan, but I'm only three episodes in. But now that I'm back in town, I could start going back through that. Gotcha. Of course, I finished Obi-Wan, but I will address that. When we get to the Facebook message that our good friend Ross Jacobs sent, uh, but I did also check out. Speaking of the multiverse, uh, what I would say is probably one of the best films I've seen this year, and definitely on my short list uh, for mo- movies to absolutely see this year. And that's Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, starring the lovely and talented Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Ki Huy Quan. Uh, you don't know who that is? Yes, you do. Data from the Goonies, and speaking of Spielberg, short round from Indiana Jones. And in case you didn't know, you haven't seen him in many movies because he's been a pretty uh, steady working stunt and martial arts choreographer 
for films such as Jet Li's The One, which now that movie's, I guess, 20 years old anyway. But uh, that's where he kind of went from in front of the camera to behind the camera. But uh, even if you've seen the trailers for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, you have no idea what you're in for. (laughs) Just just watch it. Bottom line, I'm telling you right now, just watch it. Uh, I will say it's it's like two hours, 20 minutes. My same complaint with most movies. I do think it's a little long, but this movie keeps topping itself over and over and over. And again, I don't want to reveal too much because I know you haven't seen it, Jesse. Mm-hmm. And it's best to go in with knowing nothing except that Trey said to, that you need to watch this movie. It is, it's amazing. It's absolutely, uh, I think Einstein has the quote that imagination is more important than education. This movie proves it. So highest possible recommendation for everything, everywhere, all at once. And I'll leave it at that as not to spoil something. Uh, I did see another. I did see Crimes of the Future, Cronenberg's latest movie. I'll talk about that next week because mm. we might be recording in just a couple of days, depending on your schedule, Jesse. Right, right. Uh, so I want to have something to talk about then. But I do. I have to talk about, which I mentioned a couple episodes ago, shamedly having not seen it yet. But me and my family, my parents are back in town. We all went and saw Top Gun Maverick. Mm. Uh one of the best sequels ever made. Bottom line. I'm yeah, yes, not even joking. Wow. That movie is gold. Top hmm. Gun Maverick is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Oh. And I mean now, t- now asterisk, because I saw the, the first one is iconic. It's good because of the first one. Uh, or excuse me, if you if you love the first one, which I think it was the third. I mean, it was in the, the single digits when we covered it on the podcast. It might have been the second or third movie we ever did on the podcast. Uh, the original Top Gun. Uh, this is a movie. It's two hours, uh, ten minutes long. Not a single moment is wasted. <laughs> it move every it the the you, the the story, the plot. It, it it moves. It is like seriously. If you like Top Gun, this movie, it's it's. It's, it did. This is this is to uh, Top Gun what Fury Road was to the Road Warrior. Oh, now, of course, some awesome. people still falsely think that the Road Warrior is better than Fury Road, but you're wrong. <laughs> uh, let's be honest. I'm yeah. sorry. I, 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 that's a hard line I have. Fury Road is you know this is the best action movie I've seen since Fury Road. Uh, wow. Or let me let me re- let me rephrase that. Let me structure that a little. This is the best sequel I've seen since Fury Road. Mm. Uh, Fury Road to me is in my top 10 of all time. Every time it's on my iPad, uh, as a digital, you know, movie, I, every time I travel, I watch Fury Road. It's just my, it's my go-to travel movie. Uh, I love it to death. Top Gun Maverick. It hits every beat. Uh, I, I think, and it hits every beat from the first one that you need. Uh, I would argue that it is Tom Cruise's best acting he has ever done in his career. 100%. Uh, I know he was, uh, I was trying to think of what other, like in terms of like, like performances that were really, really good in terms of not just being that, you know, he's great in edge of tomorrow. He's, I think he's great in minority report. Uh, I don't think he's a, I don't think he's really ever turned into necessarily a bad performance, so to speak, but he, he shows his range in this movie that he hasn't shown since, um, uh, what's the one not vanilla. Well, vanilla sky was good, but, uh, 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 with the frog, uh, Magnolia, uh, where he was uh, the very foul-mouthed talk show motivational speaker character. I forget his name in that, but uh, that was that was one he got a lot of praise for back in the day. 
but he he is fantastic in this film. You know, again, I I respect Tom Cruise as an actor and what he does and what he and, and his stance on the industry. I despise the fact that he's a Scientologist with every fraction of my being. Uh, it's unfortunate, but hey, it's his life. He can make his own decisions, and he's got enough money to make bad ones, I guess. But this, like, if you you need to see it in the theater, or if you have a good surround sound system at home, yeah, you're, you'll be fine. But seriously, everybody, if you haven't seen it, I personally was blown away at how good this movie was. Every range of emotion you could think of. They hit every beat that you wanted them to hit and some that you assume they would hit from the trailer. You know, there, some things are predictable. Don't get me wrong. Hmm. But it is done. It's not heavy handed in the nostalgia. Uh, it starts off with a Top Gun theme. And 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 the moment that, you know, that gong, yeah. I don't know if it's a gong, whatever it is, you know, the Top Gun theme, they, you know, they hit those beats that were that immediately just, you know, the second, you know, it's getting dark here. And then it's just like I smile on my face from beginning to end. And I fall back to I, I'm not going to lie. There were, I got teary out a couple of moments. It's that good. It's that well-written, it's that well-directed, it's that well-acted. And they knew, that's the, the, the thing that I'm most in awe about it is, is that they're making a sequel to a movie from 1986 that is part of American culture. Every, anytime somebody says, I feel the need for speed, you're quoting Top Gun. First of all, well, I'm pretty sure, that's the first time I heard it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, I'm sure people rhymed that before, but that's probably the biggest movie that ever had that quote in it. But, but uh it's they they don't go overboard with the nostalgia. They have those illusions and references, but it's done with a very masterful stroke. Unlike say uh, the Star Wars prequels, where they they really had to hammer in the the thing, like Chewbacca getting his medal and all that, which I like. But hey, that's heavy. It's it it's illustrating the point I'm saying here, and I, I understand that. So, bottom line, seriously. If you have not seen Top Gun Maverick, you need to see it before it leaves theaters. There's a reason it's Tom Cruise's highest grossing movie of all time. And if you look at his filmography, I was kind of shocked. He's never made a movie that's that successful. Like Tom Cruise hasn't. Mm. Top Gun Maverick is his most successful movie. And to be honest, it's his best performance. I would, you know, you have to have seen Top Gun to get what I'm saying out of this movie. If you've never seen Top Gun and you watch it, you're like, oh, that's all right. This movie's not going to hit you where it needs to hit you. This movie is for people who love Top Gun. It's in it will it, don't get me wrong, people who never seen it will still enjoy it's still a good movie. But it has those little moments that mean so much more because you saw the original. And you know Top Gun's a great example, almost an antithesis to over the top. Because Top Gun is hyper masculine, adrenaline fueled. The only woman is Tom Cruise's love interest, Kelly. Uh, I'm gonna say Kelly LeBrock, but that's weird science. Kelly. Uh, oh God damn it. Uh, uh, Kelly, not Preston. Uh, help me out, Jesse. Oh my God, Kelly, McGu- Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis. Got it. I, I got. It. I got it before Jesse did. I remembered it. I'm not that old. But uh, yeah, Kelly McGillis. You know. Again, only woman, you know, love interest is the only character in the movie, but, you know, Top Gun deals with, you know, say a daddy issues like it does, like uh, uh, Over the Top does. And then, you know, of course, spoiler alert, you haven't seen Top Gun, but I mean, come on, it's 30 years old, older than that now. 
uh, almost, almost 40 years old in 2026, I guess. Uh, so almost 40, uh, you know, but you know, you got the whole thing about goose dying and it's it, in top gun. It's done well, you know, it, it's, it's impactful. The movie stops for you to mourn him and understand the, the, you know, how you know, it stops being an action movie, like hard, like hard stop. Whereas over the top's like, I'm sorry. So it, it, it just stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. Nothing persists and in, in over the top. So Top Gun's a great uh, uh, comparison to like how to handle that much better, uh, to be honest with you. And so basically, yeah, I would watch Top Gun over over the top 900 times out of 900. <laughs> Put it to you that way. Uh, but yeah, seriously, Maverick, I cannot wait for it to come to home. I will watch it again. Uh, all the flight scenes are practical for the most part. Uh, Tom Cruise even comes on in the beginning and says like, Hey, we had a fun making it. It's all practical. Enjoy it. Like, yeah, okay, sure. will." and I'll be damned. They did it. <laughs> so, uh, can't say enough. Uh, everything everywhere all at once is a, you know, I would say, I, I, don't be surprised if you see that one get Oscar nominations for best picture, best actor, best supporting actress, best actress, et cetera, et cetera, best screenplay. Uh, but Maverick is, is, is it's just, it's fantastic. I mean, seriously, like, you know, it's not, it's not an Academy Award, like best picture kind of movie. If you get, you know, kind of good, but it's that Fury Road kind of good. Like it'll probably win some technical awards. And I'll be honest with you. If Tom Cruise got a best actor nomination for this movie, I will not argue with it. He is, he is seriously, he is fantastic. If you don't think, Oh yeah, Tom Cruise, he's, he can run, but he can't act. No, nah, watch this movie, you know, acting, I think I think we've talked about it before, Jesse. But to me, a lot of the best actors can act with their. Uh, you know, when I look at the stuff we did and our friends did, I'm like yeah, you know that's fine for the level that it is with you know friends making movies in terms of the acting quality. You know, but none of and I'm not trying to be rude to any of our friends, but you know, there's a there's a reason Tom Cruise is a movie star, mm-hmm. and you'll see it in this movie. He's acting with his eyes, uh, you know, to where to me that separates like a real a good actor from a great actor is you know through the 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 least uh, through the least amount of expression of your face and in your your body you convey everything that we need to know as an audience that is the difference to me that separates you know great from good from great and uh tom cruise proved it i mean i think he's done it before like i said magnolia was fantastic i thought he was great in that i loved him in interview with a vampire and a lot of people hated him at first uh, you know, but I mean, he's, he's a Hollywood legend for a reason. And despite his religious preference, you can't hold that against him for the fact that he makes some of the best damn movies and keeps doing it at his age. And he's got the biggest balls of any actor in Hollywood next to Jackie Chan. There's Jackie Chan. There's Tom Cruise. But you know what? Jackie Chan was never. Well, no, maybe he was. <laughs> maybe he was tied to the outside of a plane for a stunt. I don't I, I can't say that because I, <laughs> I can't recall all of Jackie Chan's. So I think he was on a plane wing before, though. So I guess that's 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 comparable. Yeah, Jackie Chan's still number one. Uh, but yeah, you know, Tom Cruise is up there sitting on the top of the tallest building in the world, hanging off the side of an airplane as it takes off, jumping off buildings, all this stuff. You know, so he's 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 earned his his cred, and they don't they don't make him like that. You know, what's a modern actor that you know? I was thinking about this. You know, Tom Cruise, forty plus year career as an actor. Uh, and still going at the same level. He was at even harder than he was when he started. It's impressive. You can't, you cannot deny how impressive that is. Uh, and this isn't, you know, a Tom Cruise fanboy podcast, but it's turning into that. But seriously, that's how like Maverick is that good. Top Gun Maverick. 
is one of the best, you know, in my, you know, we're what, uh, actually today's July 1st. We're officially halfway done with the year. And off the top of my head, Maverick is number two. And uh, it's, it's my number one favorite movie. It's the one I will watch repeatedly this year so far. But if you want, you know, you have to judge it. You know, there's, there's different ways to judge it. There's favorite and best. Best so far for me, off the top of my head, everything, everywhere, all at once. Favorite, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, put it to you that way. So anyway, we did get some emails and some Facebook messages so I can stop kissing Tom Cruise's ass on the podcast. Uh, let me go let me do the Facebook one first from our good friend and new father, Ross Jacobs. Ross, hope you and the family and Little Harrison are doing fine. Uh, but he says, to go back to what you were mentioning, how you had saw Kenobi, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep out all spoilers. I don't think he said anything necessarily, but I'll, I'll kind of pre-read it to make sure. He says, hey, Trey, being the Star Wars fan that you are, I've got to ask, what are your thoughts on the last episode's of Obi-Wan Kenobi. So obviously Ross, I won't, I won't say any spoilers because Jesse hasn't seen it, but you'll, you having, you having seen it, we know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, he goes on to say, I personally found the whole show entertaining enough, but ultimately pointless as we knew there were no real stakes. I agree with that. Same thing with the solo movie, you know, Obi-Wan and Leia aren't going to die. You know, Vader's not going to die. Yeah. Uh, you know, the only characters that you know are going to die are the superfluous ones that, you know, you're, you can kind of see, so to speak. <laughs> Uh, just tippy toe around saying names, <laughs> Jesse. Sorry, we'll do the full spoiler uh, one next week. Yeah, <laughs> we don't rush and watch it on, on, on my behalf. Uh, but he but he says, uh, I lost my spot. Sorry, because Facebook windows are tiny, tiny. Uh, no stakes. Although to be fair, we all knew that they were that they were all just there for Obi Wan and Vader. Don't get me started on the poor Anakin CGI. The whole Obi Wan uses a blaster now thing was the most annoying and frustrating though. I did find that last episode made up for the series somewhat for reasons I won't explain in case you haven't watched it yet. Good job there, Ross. On another note, I find your political stance refreshing to hear and the rest of the world shares your views, especially after the sad news today, which that was the day of Roe v. Wade. Try not to get into that. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if that would come up. <laughs> well, it, it will right now. And again, yeah. uh, woke and progressive alert incoming. Yeah. Uh, constitutional rights shouldn't be taken away. And oh, well, it wasn't codified yet. It was in, it was added to the Constitution and they took it away. And I, I personally think, you know, wh- whether you be- what you believe, oh, con- life begins at conception or the Jewish point of view where life begins with your first breath, the right to do what you want. What you want to your body should be yours and yours alone. Don't you know? And all you, all you, all you Trumpian Republicans out there, yes, I'm calling you out. Don't argue for less government when you're, you're, you just took away most. I think most of the population in the United States. Last time I checked, 51, 52 percent are women. You took away a majority of our population's rights. And whether those women agree with it or not, that's their personal decision, and that's their business. And the government should stay out of it. It was done. Why do we bring? You know, and if you want to put on your tinfoil hat, it became a big issue because of all the gun violence and all the uh, January Sixth Committee stuff. You want to put on a tinfoil hat? Do I really believe that? Eh, grain of salt. But I do believe for a fact that every human being in America who is an American should one hundred percent be able to have full jurisdiction over their bodies, whether you agree with it or not. It doesn't matter. It's a person's personal choice. And the best thing you can do is be supportive of the people that you know that have to make that choice. Because I guarantee you, we all know somebody, whether you know it or not, you know somebody that's had to deal with that. 
So watch your watch your goddamn mouse. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Stepping off the yeah. soapbox. I'll expect a one star review from some Trump supporter about that. Unless you want to talk about it, we could talk about it. Let's let's have a civil discussion. Anyway, Ross con- concludes. Ignore the recent reviews as you guys are doing a great job, Ross. Thank you, Ross. First of all, as far as Kenobi goes, I 100% agree with you on the last episode. Um, I think the first it's six episode series, the first five, you know, I think they get a little bit better <laughs> as they go on. But I believe the last episode, the last episode was what we were waiting for. It was, I was telling Jesse trying to veil or express non-spoilery my thoughts of the uh, Obi-Wan series. And I, I, I liken it to the prequels. The first, you know, super excited for it. Super excited over the moon. Again, should have managed expectations. Hmm. Man of Menace. Went and saw it. Walked out of it. Yeah, that was amazing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Went and saw it again the next day. Walked out of it. Yeah. Was it really that good? You know, and it's, it's funny, too, because uh, some of my friends, we had a conversation online, at least. Uh, we're, we're, in, we're at the age now to where people that grew up after us, you know, uh, late 90s, people who were born in the mid 90s. Or who grew, who grew up mostly with the prequels and the Clone Wars, I've seen people, lots of people, defend the prequels as being better than the original. Now, everybody is entitled to their opinion, 100%. I'm being facetious, but everybody who thinks the prequels are better than the original Star Wars trilogy is a fucking liar. <laughs> Let's be honest. There is no leg to stand on that that is the truth. Nobody with a rational mind thinks that. And again, being facetious, if you like him better, that's awesome. Let's talk about it. Let's explain it. Uh, but anyway, Ross, uh, I, I liken the Obi-Wan series to the prequels in the regard that, well, actually, that's a fault. Actually, I can't do that because Attack of the Clones to me is the worst Star Wars movie ever made and an abortion. Haha, <laughs> wink, wink. Should have been aborted from that trilogy. Uh, and I don't mean that in any kind of negative way towards the abortion issue because I'm totally pro-choice. Um, so, but in a sense, like you're really excited for it, kind of a letdown, kind of a letdown. But that last movie redeem- is what we were there for. Because when the prequels were announced, it was like, we get to see Vader become Vader. And we did, but it took two bad movies to get there. And with Obi-Wan, it took five. Every, every episode has its good points and its bad points, 100%. Obi- uh, McGregor, I would, I would watch... 15 seasons of him playing Obi-Wan Kenobi because he's that good. Um, I don't like, as you mentioned, as we, as I mentioned before, and you uh, mentioned as well, the black hole, Obi-Wan using a blaster repeatedly. Who thought that was a good idea for this character? Cause watch revenge of the Sith. He throws the blaster away. Like I mentioned before, how uncivilized exactly. Why is he using a blaster? Mm. But I agree. That last episode makes the series worthwhile, even though there is one thing in the last episode I don't like uh, or have me scratching my head, but that's for another time. We'll talk about it whenever Jesse's done. But uh, yeah, as a, as a Star Wars fan, it's fine. It's not what I wanted. I'm not the one making the choices, but that last episode absolutely, absolutely does it. So 100% uh, agree with that. Hmm. Uh, and then we got another letter from our good friend, uh, plain as he, as he, as he's now officially known, Tom, you're now plain pulling Tom officially. You signed your letter <laughs> with that or your email with that. Excuse me. God, what year is it? Letter? What's a letter? <laughs> anyway, he says, uh, good morning. You hip kit. You hip cats. Uh, great show as always. And with two cups of coffee and sipping on a protein shake, 
as I'm about to hit the gym, I wanted to give up, give up a, a reply on another great movie revisited. As you mentioned, the term double feature when talking about the Blues Brothers and last week's episode, Cheech and Chong. Uh, next, Cheech and Chong's next movie. Uh, the best value ever created, in my humble opinion, uh, as the flood of 80s movies that came together as tag teams on the big screen on the same level of the Road Warriors to form the four, four, four hours plus escape known as the double feature. My favorite of all time was seeing an Eddie Murphy movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says the parentheses with top secret. Speaking of Al Kilmer, Top Gun mm-hmm. Maverick, Top Gun. Uh, that was one of the underrated movies of the 80s, and I was wondering if you had revisited that one yet. We actually did, my good friend. That was, uh, I think, Jesse, uh, I think that was one of the ones after the COVID hiatus or the California slash COVID hiatus when we came mm. back. I think that was one. Yeah. Of the one, that was a recent one that we've actually covered. So we, uh, good news, Tom. That's a recent one. So you, it's not one of the old ones like the Top Gun one. With <laughs> the, I need to go back and listen to that episode just to hear the audio from – Remind myself of the audio comparison from back then. It was from uh, September, it's a recent episode. late September two, uh, 21. There you go. Uh, so check that one out and let us know what you think about that one, Tom. But he goes on to say that was one of the underrated movies. Blah, blah, blah. I said that already. Uh, hell, I love the soundtrack as Val Kilmer sang some of the funniest Beach Boys parodies uh, that are ever made. I can't get the album off iTunes, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, R matey, there be some ways you can get the album digitally. R wink, wink. Uh, that's what I had to do. I hate to admit it. But that's the way to do it, if you want it digitally, at least. Uh, along with using a one-liner from Better Off Dead, whenever I run into a white guy fishing in the metal dumpster at work, that's a damn shame. Someone throwing away a perfectly good white boy. <laughs> I always find a way to slide in. I know a little German <laughs> and point to a short guy in the room. Uh, Top Secret is a movie that keeps on giving if you're a fan of one-liners. Uh, speaking of being in a theater for over three hours. Oh, well, I agree with you before I continue this email. 100% Top Secret. Every time it's one of those like Ghostbusters, like Three Amigos. Every time you watch it, you're so busy laughing at one joke, you miss one. Right. So as the humor for the one joke kind of subsides, you're kind of catching those things that you miss upon rewatch. Hundred percent agree. And he goes on to say, uh, "Now, do you know what I love about overseas theaters that I wish they would bring here, especially now that movies are going to the near four hour mark? Intermissions. That's not a honestly. I agree. When movies are two hours and twenty minutes, uh, basically my strategy these days is." Don't take a sip of the Coke <laughs> until halfway <laughs> through the movie. Yep. That's how I, you know, you know that's how I manage it. Because, again, we watch a Maverick. I got the tub of popcorn. You know, I know that's like 80,000 calories from a tub of popcorn. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll tell you, I, this theater here in, in Utah where I'm at, I, I think I've never seen so many trailers and commercials before the movie. I, you know, people always say, oh, it's like 30 minutes of commercials, you know, and, and trailers. You usually know it's these days, what, maybe – Four trailers and a local commercial and a national, you know, be quiet with your cell phones. We saw advertisements for like every business in this damn town. And then uh, I think it was six trailers before the movie. So I was like, oh, my God, I need an intermission before the movie after the trailers. And I look down, a popcorn. I'm like scraping the bottom of a popcorn. The movie hasn't even started. It's a tub. (laughs) I'm an averagely sized person. So, you know, but anyway, 100 percent intermissions. They absolutely absolutely all right 10 minute admission go potty go get your refreshments that'd be great uh so he goes on to say overseas they have 10 to 15 minute intermission right in the middle of the movie and it's great god i wish they'd do that uh, i don't understand why managers don't see how much more stuff they would sell if people could restock and drinks getting popcorn and getting to hit the head absolutely uh honestly tom a good friend of mine's a theater manager and based i've never brought this up to him, but I would imagine that adding that 10 minute intermission to all the features of the day probably causes them to lose a showing of some movies. 
And that's probably the reason if I had, if I had to guess, Hmm. uh, but I absolutely wish they would do that. And he says, Oh, in the middle Eastern countries, you are assigned seats in places like Kuwait, Israel, and Bahrain as to who you are. So married couples see, sit in their section. If you show up alone, you sit in that section. They are very strict where you see, uh, sit and are always patrolling. Have a great week, week plane pulling Tom. And happy 4th of July as well, uh, Tom. And, well, Russ, I think you're in Canada. Ross, uh, you're in Canada, so I don't know if you <laughs> I don't think you celebrate the 4th of July uh, <laughs> like we do here. Uh, Ross, up in a, I'm just trying to check real quick. I'm pretty sure he's in Canada. Yeah, I think Ross is Canadian. Uh, so, yeah, but... Uh, Wish us a happy four, even though I saw a great meme today. Uh, it was, uh, I don't think America deserves a birthday this year. Right. <laughs> I was like, yeah. You're, uh, yep. Yep. I'd agree with that. Uh, and I, I say that as an American who cares about this country for you people who don't think before you send an email. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much, Tom, for that. I agree with you on all those, a lot of those points as well. L- love an intermission. I do know that when the hateful eight, they, they toured it, showing it in the, uh, 18 mil, whatever the, the, the film ratio was that Tarantino wanted it to be. Uh, they did have an intermission in that version. Uh, and I, again, I hundred percent agree. They should bring back intermissions. It was an hour and a half. Okay. No, that's fine. But like you said, two hour, you know, have the theaters plan it. You know, it's almost like a season finale, you know, <laughs> all right, we're going to go get our, we're going to go do this mission. Black intermission. Oh, oh, and cool. You, know, you can talk about it with your, you know, with your friends while you're, oh man, I wonder what's going to, you know, you can kind of get that moment to kind of check in with your friends about how the movie's going so far, you know, so you don't have to talk during the movie. I think it'd be a great idea. And we also got a, heard back from our good friend over there in the UK, UK Lee, Lee Bragg says, Hey guys, hope you are both well and your families. Uh, just thought I'd send a quick email to say I'm still alive and a regular listener slash fan of your podcast. Just been real busy. Works killing me like everywhere in these dark days. Very hard now. Lost about a stone. We haven't got much staff at work anymore, but I'm still hanging in there. Uh, for all you people that don't know what that means, I'm not sure how much a stone actually weighs in, in that, but it's say he's lost like some weight is what that means. Uh, he's not saying you pass a kidney stone. At least I don't think he is. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Lee. Uh, but he says, just got one more room in my house to decorate, because if y'all remember, Lee was re- redoing a house, then he can rest. I'll be honest, I felt like Tom Hanks in the money pit when we first <laughs> moved into the house. But after all the money and hard work, I'm nearly done. Trust me, my first house was a fixer-upper. And, you know, All my houses as long as you, yeah, I mean, you can relate to Jesse, you know, I mean, you, when you, when you have a house, you're never technically done. Something's always going to break. You're going to fix something. That's, that's just part of home ownership. But when you're doing that, when you're fixing it up like that, but like, once you put that last, you know, piece of trim or hang that last blind or that last brush stroke of that paint on that room, you're good. That's going to be the best feeling in the world. And mm-hmm. I'm happy for y'all. I know y'all have been working. I mean, it's been a long time since we chatted. Uh, but since you sent an email, so obviously you've been really busy. Uh, so, but it's gonna it's gonna be awesome for y'all once you're done there, uh, Lee. And he says, can you finish this off with everything going on in the world? Maybe World War Three coming? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and prices of everything going up and up. We'll probably have to sell a kidney when I next fill up with gas. Uh, mm-hmm. Your podcast cheers me up and gets me through the work through work. So just thought I'd let you know you're both doing a very good job. All the best, UK Lee. Lee, you. You, uh, you and Ben are two of our oldest listeners, oldest friends. I, you know, I, I would I would absolutely call y'all friends of the show, friends to me personally. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Uh, wish y'all all the best. And speaking of Ben, before we obviously get do a shout out to that too, but old Doomslayer at uh, I forget the name of the pay per view they had, or the the event they had. Doomslayer got him a win, and it is uh, if you follow, I encourage everybody to uh, just search Doomslayer. 
or L, uh, I think Jesse's bringing up L E L H I J O doom or D E doom slayer mm-hmm. on YouTube. Uh, and check out his latest match. Ben's mask where, uh, Ben's match where doom slayers unmasked. It's been revealed that it's been Vinny the ref, uh, <laughs> which I was shocked. I was shocked <laughs> that Ben no was idea. doom slayer. I, I just, I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, he came all the way over here and attacked me and then, and then just come back and, you know, as Ben at least say, Hey mate, y'all right. I saw doom slayer attacked you. You know, I just, I just don't know. But anyway, all kidding aside, uh, Great match, uh, like I said, uh, you know, since since we've been communicating on the podcast, uh, you know, Ben started training for wrestling mm-hmm. and everything. And there's there were two bumps in this match where I thought he was dead. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> and again, you know, I'm not, and I'm, I, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be honest. You know, I mean, there's, you know, it's there's some spots that you know weren't all that obviously because I mean, this is. These are people doing it for the love of it, and, and that that shows. But there's a clothesline that Ben takes that I thought the cap that he was dead, and then there was a slam. <laughs> uh, I think it was it was it was a, it might have been a power. I can't remember if it was a power bomb or some other slam. But I'll be damned if I was like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a, oh no, that was a reversal. But uh, some real like, and again, I'm being honest here. If if I thought it was crap, I'd say it was crap. I believe that's something that, as a friend, you would tell people. But. Uh, and you know Ben's out there doing stuff that I wish I could do. I, I could do when I was 18 years years old on trampoline. Uh, <laughs> but he's been uh, he's been working hard. He got him. Uh, I, I think the I've, I've seen he sent me a link and there's several matches of his on YouTube. And in all honesty, Ben, that was the best. Ma- I think that's the best match you ever did uh, from the ones I've seen. Obviously, uh, not just because you won, but there were again there were some spots, got some good selling in it. Uh, it told a story. Uh, a lot of people don't look at that when they look at wrestling matches about you know, the story the match is telling. You listen to Shawn, some of the old guys, Shawn Michaels, Taker, Stone Cold, Steve Austin, uh, all of them talk about, you know, the, you know because it's, it's all storylines in wrestling, you know, on every level. And, uh, you know, me not knowing the storyline, just knowing that here's Doomslayer coming back, uh, you know, from his last match where he left his uh, mask in the ring. I believe he left it in the ring or threw it out. Uh that's all I knew, but the match told me everything I needed to know. Uh, so if you like, if you like wrestling, if you like independent wrestling and seeing like, you know, that's the one thing I like about, uh, you know, high school football and college football, as opposed to the pros is that the people that play, you know, those levels of sports where it's, it's not for the money necessarily. Mm-hmm. Not that all NFL people are playing for the money. Don't get me wrong. I know that they're there because they like playing it, but there's a level, uh, there's a different level, a different mindset when you're at that level, cause you're, you haven't earned it yet. You know, you're still working to get there, to, to be one of the elite. There's a passion there that I think some, I think the greatest wrestlers, the greatest athletes keep that. Some of the other ones kind of lose that, you know, they get disenfranchised with professional sports and only play a couple of seasons. Maybe they quit, maybe they get injured, whatever. I'm just giving my armchair general opinion <laughs> on that. But, uh, you know, when you watch, when you watch independent wrestling, these are guys out there and girls, don't get me wrong, women, excuse me that are out there, you know, put risking their lives, to be honest with you, for some of these spots, uh, you know, because they want to. And that's, and like I said, you know, I'll, I'll call it, I'll, you know, I'll call it, I call it as I see it for my friends as best I can. Uh, Jesse, you know that we have a lot of friends who, especially musicians, you know, and like, Hey, check out this new single. Like, 
Yep. So, you know, I like it. You know, it's, it's not my favorite song. You know, you, you got to be honest with your friends because, you know, you got to be proud for them, but you also need to be honest with them. And uh, the first thing I told Ben was uh, on Facebook was just like, dude, I'm proud of you. I'm absolutely proud of you, man. Uh, just getting there and doing it, first of all. But it was a for it's a good match. I was I was I'd have been dead. I'm mm-hmm. not even joking. I would I literally I, I, I would have been dead in the first three minutes of that match. Maybe not even that long, you know. Granted, I got a couple of years on Ben, but that's no excuse because he's in great <laughs> shape. But uh, you know, in all in all like seriousness, like I true, I was just like, you know, it, it, it sounds weird saying this, but like I felt like a proud dad. Like it's the best way to put it. Like uh, just uh, in the regard that it's somebody that I know, never met him. Right. Uh, you know, we've established such a kinship and a friendship through this podcast and in, and along those same lines I was saying before about those lower tier or lower at, you know athletes that are not at the professional level, you know me me and Jesse aren't doing this to make money. Would love to. What I love to absolutely wish this could be our job. We'd have a lot more episodes <laughs> if that was <laughs> yeah. the case. Uh, don't get me wrong, you know, but we're still doing this two hundred plus episodes in because I like doing it and Jesse puts up with it. So, uh, but you know, so I'm you know, and I'm not trying to compare the. The ability to do a podcast, the ability to pro wrestle, or anything, but there's there's passion there. There is a passion mm-hmm. uh, to do it because you love doing something and listening or watching somebody do what they love to do. It sh- it it does show. It comes through, and it comes through with Ben's matches. I mean, before he did all that wrestling, he, he talked about wrestling on his podcast and everything else. You know, he loved it. You know. And it's, 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 it's truly, you know, everybody, you know, obviously I'll have many moments like this with Violet as she gets older and, you know, we watch Jaws for the first time and, and she says, I don't want to take a bath. I'm scared. It's going to be sad, but I'm going to be so happy at the same time. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's, it's, those, it's those kind of things, you know, so it's just pride and knowing, seeing somebody, you know, do something that they've worked hard for. And that goes for anybody, everybody, some people, you know, uh, oh, that splash. That was one of them too. <laughs> that uh, we, we were watching it. That, that's when I saw the splash. I was like, "Oh my god!" Because <laughs> it looked, it looked like he kind of hit it a little uh, too on. But when you watch, when you see it in slow motion, you see that it's yeah. he saw, Ben sold it well. Yep. Uh, and that that's part of the skill. You know, there's a lot of you know, people discount wrestlers for that. You know, unfairly. Of course, obviously, we're we're, we're pro, we're pro choice, pro wrestling on this podcast. <laughs> at, at least for myself, Jesse, I can't speak for your state. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, obviously, because everybody has their own opinions and we can talk about it. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, wrestling is, you know, people, my, my, my father, like he, he was, he's a college, he played football in college. He's a walk on and got a, got a scholarship walking on the field at Louisiana Tech. Awesome. Proud of him for that. Amazing. But he still doesn't. He, he, he every time uh, we're watching something that's pro wrestling related, it's like, oh, isn't this all fake? I'm like, no. Well, the, 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 the outcome is predetermined. You're absolutely right. But you go jump off a yeah. Titan Tron yep. and live, and then you come talk to me. You go do what Sting did the other night at that AEW pay per view, which I haven't seen the pay per view, but I've seen the pictures. Sting is 60, uh, I think he's 63, I want to say, and doing spots like that. There's pictures all of the, I mean, it, 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 he's back to that crow level of intensity, Jeez. you know, they're out there, these guys are out there doing it. You know, it's impressive. You know, Sting, like, for example, like Shawn Michaels, Sting, uh, you know, you, you can tell when up until their last matches, except well, Shawn Michaels, except that uh, crown jewel match. Uh, let's not talk about that one. But uh, 
you know, you could see, you could see they love it just as much today as they did in the heyday. Uh, and to me, that to me, and, and like I was just saying with that, that's one of the biggest tragedies. Well, or I say tragedy. It is. What is a tragedy with Bret Hart's career being cut so short? Because that dude lo- still loves wrestling, you know. And whether you agree with some of his opinions of it or not, that's up to you, you know. But you could that again. The the passion that people have and that can maintain. John Cena, he still loves wrestling. The Rock, I don't know if he still does. But yeah. he's got a lot. He's got a lot of other things to worry about. So I'm not. I'm not like I say. I'm not holding that against him, you know. But uh, you know, it's just you know, lift lift your friends, up, lift the people you know up that are doing something that you that you should be proud of. I don't think enough people do that these days. I think it's too false. Uh, in general, is what I'm getting at. Like you know, um, you know, if you're even if they're just if, if somebody takes the time to tell you something that they did. That means they're ha- they want you to know because they're proud of it, and you should give them you should give them an honest opinion. I'm not saying you say, "Oh yeah, listen, to that song you're really proud of." I thought it sucked. I'm not saying you know. Yeah, you talk to them tactfully is what I'm getting at. But yeah. you know, some you know people need to know that if you're proud of them these days. You know, these are like uh, UK Lee was saying. You know, these dark times. It, you know, I feel like the United States is taking a step back with this Roe versus Wade decision. Some people don't think that. That's fine. Uh, hmm. although honestly, I don't think it's fine to be honest with you because right. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, if you get what I'm saying, I mean, you're entitled to your opinion. I will fight for you to have your opinion, but opinions can be wrong is what I'm getting. I guess is what I'm getting at. Uh, but anyway, uh, not to <laughs> drag this episode on too, too much, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let me, let me see where, uh, we've got our letters. We got our Facebook message. Hey, if you want to send an email, 80s revisited at Gmail. Dot com on Facebook, 80s Revisited Podcast on Instagram, 80s underscore revisited because somebody took the one with the apostrophe already somehow. And then, of course, our good friends far and away, John with the Cajun Tour Review on YouTube. Check it out. He does some great uh, tour reviews. I uh, I don't collect toys, but I, uh, for example, with the new Ninja Turtle game that came out. Oh, by the way, I don't, I don't know if we talked about the last, that last episode or not. It's a we fantastic did. game. If we didn't, yeah. everybody should play it. Uh, oh, yeah, we did talk about it because I yeah, didn't it. got on my but radar because of it. Violet, Violet loves Ninja Turtles now because she watched me play it. She loves Michelangelo. I know she's wrong. I know, I know. I'll teach her better. You know, Michelangelo's the worst turtle. My <laughs> Wink, wink, wink. Everybody has their favorite turtle. I got her some... I was looking for Ninja Turtles toys for her. And I, I didn't want the Nickelodeon series even though I know... It, you told me that, Jesse. And I have watched a few episodes of it. It is really good. Uh, I was looking for something a little more along the lines of the classic Turtles. You know, find an eBay auction where somebody was giving away or selling some for a cheap price to have the same ones I played with. But I found some, thanks to John's channel, like some brands that when he was talking about other ones that led me to kind of research who was making them. And I found some for like, they were like 30 bucks for a two pack, but it was a two pack. I got, I got all the turtles. Uh, it was like uh, Donatello with Shredder, Raph with Triceratron, and then Rocksteady and Bebop with Mikey and uh, Leo. And they're in the, they're but they're they're kind of modern made, but they're the fig they're uh, super articulate, but they're uh, look exactly like the old ones. Like Rock uh, Bebop's got his turtle shell pauldrons, that kind of you know they have all the little details. Like remember the the original Ninja Turtles figures, you could tell them apart a because they were each a different color. But uh, you know Mikey, my, my, uh, Raph had the mouth where his teeth were gritted on both sides. Donnie had it on one side, Leo had it on the other side, and Mike Mikey didn't have any teeth showing, which is odd because he's the party dude. Uh, so they, they maintain that and everything. So uh, now I get to play Ninja Turtles with my daughter, uh, and it's great. 
even though Michelangelo is her favorite. So I have to, <laughs> because Michelangelo is her favorite, I have to do that voice and be that character more often than not. And Mikey's the one that talks like this, dude. So it's like, I don't like having <laughs> to talk like that for hours at a time. If you remember the cartoon, you know, Raph and all the other ones were much more like, ah, come on, April, what are we going to do today? You know, they were, that was kind of Jimmy Cagney, but not Raph, but, you know. <laughs> Michelangelo's more like the one talking like, you know, a little harsher on the vocal cords when you're not a voice actor and you're just a once a week podcaster. But anyway, uh, so yeah, John's got, if you're into act, if you're in the toy collecting, uh, John's got a really good channel where he goes through that. I love his blind bag stuff. Cause I like seeing when people have luck as bad as me uh, with some of those blind bags. And as mentioned before, of course, our good friend, Ben Doomslayer, no longer the Tasmanian devil, Ben, you're officially Ben Doomslayer Wyatt over there in Tasmania. Uh, all the best to him and keep, keep pushing, man. It's only, it's only, it's getting better every time I see you with uh, the wrestling and all that. So, and if you would like to leave a review, feel free, good or bad. We do not care. We appreciate them both. If you leave a good review or a bad review, however, I personally ask you, tell us why. And people have done that in the past two <laughs> bad reviews we got because of politics or, uh, oh, excuse me, three bad reviews, because two because of politics, one because Somebody didn't listen to what I was actually saying about Steven Spielberg. Yeah. But nevertheless, good or bad, just tell us why. Tell us why. And if it's a valid reason, we will adapt and admit it. If it's a bullshit reason, we'll call you out on it. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I would, uh, I would add a little caveat. Leave more than just two sentences. And you better, if, if you're going to quote me, by, by all means, please do. I am not an infallible person. Some of those episodes, I'll probably say some things that I'd be ashamed to admit I said these days. Uh, or misrepresented. Who knows? I can't say. It's all there for people to find out when I run for president. Right. Uh, but anyway, you know, leave a, you know, just, you know, let's talk. You know, I, if you say, oh, I hate Trey's voice. That's not a reason for a one-star review. That's a reason to not leave a review and not listen to the podcast again. If you disagree with something I say, let's talk about it. You got the email address. Let's have a, let's have a discussion. Don't like to make this a political podcast, but, you know, I do think – uh, that's never the intention, but of course, this is a tangential podcast. Uh, Jesse, what are we running on this episode? An hour 30 at least, maybe two? I don't know. Hour 50 right now. Oh, okay. So, so there you go. We got an hour and 50 long, hour and 50 minute long podcast and about over the top. And what, maybe 50 or less minutes are about the movie? <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the other topics about the 80s? You know, cause we do, I mean, to be fair, it's all 80s centric except the back, except the end of it for the most part. But uh, I do believe that if, if you have a platform, no matter how tiny, it serves you well to use it in a way that, you know, it, do I expect to change? You know, there's a, there's a great thing, uh, a great, I say a quote, I heard it, I saw it on Facebook, but, you know, uh, whoever made a post, whoever posted on, who, who has ever posted on Facebook to change somebody's mind? You know what I'm saying? But what, what does change people's minds is actually engaging and having a discourse. Not that we necessarily have that, you know, because it's a podcast that you're listening to, but you can email, you can respond. And we, I appreciate everybody who's uh, taking the time to send an email or even leave a review, even if it's bad. Thank you for taking time out of your day to say that, even if you're wrong about your statement, not your review, mm -hmm. <laughs> about your star rating. Because you, you cannot like the podcast. There's, there are podcasts I don't like. I'm not going to listen to Joe Rogan, mm -hmm. but I will listen to you know, last podcast on the left or Halloweenies or something, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, some podcasts aren't for you. You know, a podcast isn't for you. Just say goodbye. You know, just leave. Just slip out when we're not looking. That's fine. 
<laughs> but if you got something to say, by all means, use your ability to speak and to type and let us know and let's have a talk about it. But anyway, what I was saying, see, tangential, it happens all the time. Uh, but to avoid this being a two hour long podcast and just an hour and 55 <laughs> at the most, I'm going to say, uh, what I was getting at was, you know, if you got a platform and you see something happening, in the, in the in the place you live, the place you love, the and and you and you do value the ideal of what that place should be. You should use it to say your piece, if for anything, for posterity. Uh, I'm not doing it for posterity. I believe that it should be done because you know one day my daughter will listen to these podcasts. Maybe, <laughs> maybe <laughs> not. Maybe she's like three, you know, eight hundred episodes. I'm not listening to that. <laughs> you know, that's her, that's her choice. That's fine. No, that's totally fine, you know, but I would, you know, I can look back. I think every, for everybody's life, uh, you know, we're not, we can't all, you know, uh, enter a stadium to our theme music and win the belt at WrestleMania. We can't all go on stage at Live Aid and hold the audience in the palm of our hand. We can't all fly an F-18. We can't all be a, a you know, star in a Star Wars movie. That's you know? how big your hands uh, are, I guess. <laughs> yeah we all can't be wrecking Ralph. you know here's, here's, here's another thought i was, I was again it's july 4th weekend everybody should watch team america independence day and jaws uh i was watching some uh interviews with richard dreyfus and i was just thinking you know the, the indianapolis scene in jaws here we're gonna hit two hours now because i'm on another tangent but uh <laughs> it's one of the greatest movie scenes of all time to me one of the best speeches in movie history where quentin talks about the indianapolis Fun fact on that, because we'll never talk about the original Jaws on this, but uh, he did that scene once and didn't like it and came in the next day and said, told, asked Steven Spielberg, I need to do it one more time. And that's to take this in the movie. Uh, that's a testament to Robert Shaw's acting. Uh, fantastic actor. And like I said, but there were there, more people have walked on the moon than were in the in the on the boat in the set to film that scene. So what I'm getting at is like, you know, what, even, you know, what you do that's creative or your outlet for creativity, no matter what it is, no matter how small it is, it's yours. And you should, you should be proud of yourself for that also. But again, you know, getting back to the politics of it, uh, you know, I would be remiss to be a host of a podcast in America. And when something is wrong, is fundamentally wrong to not mention it. Whether you agree with it or not, that's your choice. But choices can be wrong. And the right of politics isn't right all the time, like figuratively right. And the left of politics isn't right all the time either. There is a middle ground that is there that gets promised in the elections and then forgotten once after the elections. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, People, my, my, the opinion of this host is that people, you should question everything. Uh, you know, I've heard religious people say about, you know, laws protecting gay marriage, for example, that I don't want, you know, I've heard people say this. Uh, I don't want, you know, 10% of the population making rules for me. Well, evangelicals are 30% of the population. So you, by your same logic, you shouldn't be making any of the rules for all the other people. That's why laws and protections that this country offers for its citizens that do not matter except to certain individuals' person are, should not even be discussed. 
you know, uh, the Constitution is a beautiful document in writing. You know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, that all men are created equal. But, you know, as a lesson, remember, this, the, the Constitution was written by people who had slaves. So those words at the time can seem contradictory. And you can look at it that way. That is a valid way to look at it, you know, if you want to go full woke, so to speak. Uh, and you're not wrong on that. You know, they're, they're writing about this, and that's and that's the way that, that's you know, I've heard people say this too, and it makes it well, that's how the world was back then. That doesn't make it right. Uh, but the but today, to where where we have, you know, abolished slavery, where we would, you know, that was two hundred plus years ago. You know, yeah, thankfully we got rid of slavery. It took a war to do it, but we got rid of it. And we're still dealing with racism in this country and, you know, uh, gay people not having, you know, having their rights taken away and, and hate in this country. And women, you know, an, a, a, a right for women to have full jurisdiction over their bodies. And, oh, it's a state's issue now that, you know, I hear that too. States rights this, states rights that. No. Some things, okay. Fundamental rights that every American should have, No. No, no, no. I'm looking at you, Florida. I'm looking at you, Texas. Uh, and if you live in those states and you, and you subscribe to those beliefs, okay, think about it. Because, you know, I, I've, I've heard people say like, yeah, I'm pro-gun and all that. And, you know, guns don't kill people. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. The instrument of death was caused, it was a bullet. You know, I understand what you're saying, but it is not correct. It is not a valid excuse because it is just that. It is an excuse. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting I feel my temperature rising. Uh, Elvis, because Boz Lerman's Elvis is out in theaters. want to see that too. Anyway, bottom line, uh, let, me, let me sum up. No, there's no, not enough. No, let me explain. No, there's not enough time. Let me sum up. Uh, you know, it's, it's my point of view that we as a whether it's two people listening to us or it's just our heavy hitting hitters in uh, Qatar over there <laughs> in, uh, in the Middle East, whatever it may be, you know we have. I I feel that if if you do, even if even if just your friends listen to your podcast, which a lot of my friends don't listen to my podcast, that's fine. I don't care. Right. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It, you know, it'd be nice if you did. I listened to all your music for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious. Uh, you know, so. But uh, anyway, uh, it's it, no matter how small. Bottom line, actual bottom line here, because <laughs> Trey Cole says so. No matter how small your platform is, I think it it it, it is a platform and should be used for the greater good, so to speak. Because uh, uh, you know, a lot, I think a lot of a lot of Amer uh, I'm getting on another tangent. Let me let it go. No, this is not a political podcast. You stuck around this long. Congratulations. <laughs> Because you have just won the official 80s Revisited Politics No Prize. You can officially say that I was there. I did it. I listened to the entire political thing that Trey got on at the end of the Over the Top episode. <laughs> that two-hour episode. Because I guarantee you, somebody's whether they write in or not, somebody's going to say, somebody out there is going to be so excited to see that there's a podcast that covered Over the Top, and it's two, two hours, hours long. <laughs> They're going to be so excited and then 45 minutes in, they're going to be like, wait, what? What? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hopefully they stick around. If you did, congratulations. You're a champ. But it, next week, everybody, uh, of course, uh, the next big theatrical release is Thor, Love and Thunder, speaking of the MCU. So we're going to go back to the 80s movie that featured Thor. 
Uh, I know those. You know what? I'm not going to say what the name of the movie is. I know it. There is an Asian movie that has Thor in it. If you know what it is, that's next week's movie. If you don't know what it is, I will post it on uh, Instagram mid next week to fill you in. Uh, actually, actually, you know what? I, you know what? I'll, I'll let you on Instagram too, where it's streaming too. Uh, Over the top is streaming, I think, on Amazon. By the way, if you have, I should have said that at the beginning of the episode <laughs> or last week. But I didn't realize we were doing it till later on. Anyway, everybody, thanks for sticking around. If you managed to do that, uh, come back next week as we talk about Thor in a movie in the <laughs> '80s. Wink, wink. Uh, so come back then. We'll see you. And until then, stay safe. Question everything and cowabunga. Oh, wait, sorry. I remain, <laughs> hopefully, Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. All that stuff I said before, and one more cowabunga! Cowabunga!